All right, y'all, it's spring, and you know what that means. It's time to start planning our summer festival traveling. Yep, it's time to get into my Airbnb bag cross-country, a.k.a. uh, time to visit my homes all across the country. And you know what I never think about? Why not list my own spot on Airbnb and host some folks at my house? I mean, my house is cute. Yes, let's make money while we're spending money. Just trying to help you out, man, because your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Course Love Supreme is a production of iHeartRadio. This classic episode was produced by the team at Pandora. Hey, this is Unpaid Bill. This week's QLS Classic is with Chris Schwartz. In the September 24th, 2019 convo, Chris talks about co-founding Rough House Records, growing up in Philly, and giving our very own Questlove his first internship. Episode 132. Here it is. Suprema, su-su-suprema roll call. Suprema, su-su-suprema roll call. Suprema, su-su-suprema roll call. Suprema, su-su-suprema roll call. It's my turn. Yeah. Live and you learn. Yeah. We're talking to the man. Yeah. Who let me in turn. Roll call. Suprema, su-su-suprema roll call. Suprema, Fonte's in the building. Yeah. And it must be said. Yeah. Rough House Records. Yeah. They got all my bread. Roll call. Suprema. Suprema roll call. Suprema. Suprema roll call. My name is Sugar. Yeah. Last time I lived here. Yeah. I lived with Amir. Yeah. That was a rough house. Suprema roll call. Suprema, Boss Bill's in the house. Yeah. No, I ain't on a plane. Yeah. But I just might be a little. Yeah. Insane in the brain. Roll call. Suprema. I never thought of that when they Suprema roll call. Suprema, Suprema Roll Call. My name's Laia. Yeah. And that's Chris Schwartz. Yeah. You may not know this. Yeah. But he was my boss once. Roll Call. Say what? Suprema, Suprema Roll Call. Suprema, Suprema Roll Call. Chris Schwartz, y'all. Hanging out. Yeah. Quest Love, Supreme Team. No 
wasn't that bad. <laughs> no, but it was pretty bad. No, you thought it was going to be like life ending. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Questlove Supreme. Uh, Questlove, and we have the team Supreme here. Hello. Laia, yeah. hello. Hello, this is your life. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I know, right? Fontigolo in the house. Yeah. 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 And uh, I'm Pay Bill. He's it not here. Is dead. He's here in spirit. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, he's recovering. Uh, <laughs> boss Bill's in the house, and uh, Sugar Steve. Good to see you, man. Hey, how you doing? Good to see everybody. Yeah. <laughs> it's nice to see you. What up? Uh, I will say that... Um, our guest today was instrumental um, in giving us a lot of classic 90s hip-hop. Man, listen. That shaped us. Yeah. Uh, not to mention, uh, this man also gave me one of my first jobs that got me into the industry. Gave me an education. <laughs> <laughs> I asked for an internship. He's like, show up at 10 in the morning, be on time, and then uh, I was there. Um, what can I say? Like Rough House Records, Philadelphia's premier recording label that gave us uh, Larry Lair, Cypress Hill, the Fugees, the Goats, um, Crisscross, Crisscross, Criss a, a little unknown group yeah. called Crisscross. <laughs> Uh, even Jamal. Oh man, Jamal Ski. I used to play that. Jump, yeah, don't do it. Like Jamal Ski started the. Javonski started a, a slew of uh, Impostafari and uh, imitators <laughs> on their label. But um, uh, even DMX, yeah. not many yeah. people know that yes. DMX's first single. first single was on Rough House. Uh, I mean, Schooly D. There's so many. Like, nice. uh, book coming out. Uh, yes. When? In the title of the book? Rough House. From the streets of Philly to the top of the hip hop yes, charts. Yes, I didn't uh, know what the uh, parenthesis yeah. was called. Ladies and gentlemen, give it for the one and only Chris Schwartz. Yes, sir. Yeah, thank you, thank you, thank you, yeah. thank you, thank you, thank you. Man, full circle. Yes, Chris yes. Schwartz. <laughs> La I mean, last time I seen you, man, you know, we were. It was. I, I talk about this all the time. I remember always seeing you either at the airport. Or the train station. Yes. You were always on the move. And always on the move. I remember, I, I was telling Leia, I was driving to 30th Street Station mm -hmm. with somebody from New York. And I said, I'm, I, I'll bet you right now, like 20 bucks that we're going to see Amir. Right? <laughs> so we got to the train station. You weren't there. And I forked over the 20. But then when we... We're leaving New York to come back. You were at the train station. Mm -hmm. See, I'm not, uh, well, see, I'm the opposite of Jarrell. I'm never on time, but always there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> never there. Um, I, well, I have so many questions. I mean, I've known you for so long, but never knew your true story. Right. But where were you born? Were you born in Philadelphia? In a hospital in Philadelphia. Okay. Te technically, yeah, I was born at Jefferson Hospital. Okay. Yeah. Okay. What part? What part of Philly did you grow up in? I grew up in Devon. I grew up out Whoa. out in the farmlands. Okay. Mm, okay. You say that with pride. A lot of people. Well, no, no, no. I'm not. I'm not ranking. Yeah, yeah. I'm just saying that when people uh, who are not in Philadelphia see me, they're like, "Hey, I'm from Philly." I was like, "Oh, where? What part?" And then they get a shame like Devon. Or, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no, ben no. Salem yeah. or you know, Kamshagen. Yeah, yeah. So, um, Devon. Yeah, Devon. Uh, where, where I was, where I grew up, it was, um, like 
farmland. And then my neighborhood was this little, like, uh, I guess it was like a World War II, you know, post-World War II little development. Mm-hmm. And, um, but, you know, I, uh, I left home at 17 and, uh, joined the service and spent. Really? Yeah. Okay. Which branch? Navy. Went to Navy. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Wow. Oh yeah. It's all in the book. I would have never. I'm like, all that discipline, Chris? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, that explains a lot. Yeah. Uh, what do you, I mean, were you always, uh, sort of, uh, drawn to music or oh absolutely absolutely i mean since uh well i got i grew up in a family of 10 kids wow so uh um, where do you fall uh number seven okay so i have um uh, four older brothers and two older sisters so growing up you know um you know i'm a i was born in 1960 mm-hmm. so having old you see it's a thing my family was set up it was like two groups of kids there was the older kids, right? Mm-hmm. And um, and then my parents had another five kids later on. So, um, for instance, when I was, I guess, five or six, my oldest brother came home from, he went to college and he started his first job. And then he moved back from Ohio to our house. I didn't know who he was. I really? mean, uh, yeah, literally a stranger no, in your house. No, it's like one day, one day I'm, you know, my mother wake up and my mother is talking to this guy in, you know, he's got like bushy blonde hair and a scraggly beard. And he's standing at the top of the stairs in his underwear talking to my mother <laughs> and my mother's talking to him like, you know, she's doing him all her life. And I'm like, I'm standing behind her like, who, like, who is this? You know? So, <laughs> so um, but, but, but. But back to, you know, so I grew up in a house, like a lot of music from the 60s and the 70s, you know, was constantly playing from different rooms. And um, so, yeah, um, I was particularly, you know, there was a lot, there was two things going on. You had Mm -hmm. the definitive pop radio, which was AM radio, which was just pop hits. And then you had... um, the progressive FM rock station. So were you, know? you a Wizard 100 head? Uh no, it was actually WFIL. Oh okay, you Yeah, okay. and then and then there you had uh WYSP and w- WMMR. WMMR uh, for for people from Philly, you know, probably don't know this. It was actually one of the first un- underground FM rock stations oh, I know. in the country. I know it well. Every Saturday at 12 o'clock at night, they play an entire album. Like new Zeppelin. album by an artist. And you and they would tell you how to set your Dolby on your tape deck to record it. It's really? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Really? Yep. Damn, I I didn't realize that. So yeah. you you weren't you weren't part of the generation listening to because I know that Wizard One Hundred um, on the AM dial um, was kind of like. That actually, in... that actually may have been a little bit before my listening years. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. No, I, I just, you know, the house was always on my radio. Like, in, in the house, that radio was always on. Yeah. House wasn't always on my radio. The radio <laughs> was always on in my house. Um, yeah, but usually on the weekends, uh, like Saturday and Sunday, like, 
Casey Kasem's countdown would come on that station and whatnot. But all right, so you straight up FM kid. Yeah. Um, do you remember what the music environment was like in Philadelphia as far as the nightlife was concerned or anything? Or did you have to go to New York to? Well, when I was, I mean, it what like when I was a when I was like my like a, a, a teenager, right? Um, the music of Philadelphia was really more primarily mo- known because of PIR. You mm-hmm. know, it was really known as the you know you had you had the you had Motown always, but right. Philly Philly was known as is the place where you know it it played a big part of the disco era. You know, um, you did the tramps and everything like that. So, uh, but your coming it, of age was more post. Yeah, assuming twenty one, twenty two, whatever. Like, yeah. Well, I would. Well, I was. Uh, I would have been twenty one in nineteen eighty eighty one. Yeah, yeah, nineteen eighty one. So, what were the musical options after the initial primary? Disco dust oh, had it, settled. Well, I t- okay, so we're talking about that pe- period. Yeah, when, yeah, 1981. It was, um, it was, uh, you know, it. You had Lady B, Power 99. You know, <laughs> okay, yeah, that's. So you were a oh, hip hop yeah. head. Oh, like you- oh, yeah, 1981. Most, uh, yeah. Well, here's it was it was two things. It was hip hop mm-hmm. on one part of it, right, and then, uh, my my sort of um base formative thing was i was really into electronic music that okay. was that was it like so to me craft work yeah. yeah craft work see because i had li- i've been listening to craft work since i was a kid i mm-hmm. mean i went to see um i went to see them perform uh audubon at the valley forge music fair because damn audubon here's here's what a lot of people know wfil Mm-hmm. Used to play the entire album version of Audubon. Oh, wow. The three longest songs in history of AM pop radio were Tubular Bells by Mike Oldfield, Oldfield which yeah. was the because it was the theme for The Exorcist, uh, Inagata Vita by Iron Butterfly, <laughs> yeah. and then you had um, Audubon, and they used to play it, you know, the entire thing on pop radio. So they. Uh, they did a show at the uh, the Valley Forge Music Fair, and I went there with my best friend. With the circular stage? Yeah. No, 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 no. That's the new Valley Forge. That's the later on. Valley Forge Music Fair actually started as a tent. Really? Yeah. It was a big tent. It was like a seasonal thing. They'd have like, you know, Fiddler on the Roof and stuff like that. And um, they had just built the the first one, the first incarnation of it. Right. And uh, yeah, and it was like, I went there and it was just two guys, you know, Ralph and Florian and like big stacks of keyboards and everything. Uh, and it was, uh, it was, it was very cool. I was so futuristic. You know, yeah. They were the Daft Punk of their yeah. day. <laughs> well, it's, it's funny if um, they, they were, you know, the way I kind of see it, Daft Punk really, yeah, if it, with if there's been no craft work, Def, I'm not Def sure. Punk's the craft work of now. Yeah, yes, yes, yeah. I see what you mean. Um, wait, is the Valley Forge Music Fair still around today? I don't think so. I think there's a uh, uh, there's either a Red Lobster or a, damn. Uh, something. <laughs> oh, wow. 
Yeah, like yeah, crisscross did a show there. Yeah, I was going to say with, like, with Dr. Dre and Ed Lover. <laughs> really? Oh, wow. Yeah, it was. It was. <laughs> yeah. I, I, so yeah, um, it closed in '96. Really? Yeah. Damn. Yeah, it was, it was always my dream to to play there. Like, uh, my dad played there once, but like they would have a a rotating stage in the round thing, and yeah, the, one the, could get dizzy or lose their sense of yeah. Depending on how many degrees the, <laughs> how fast the the stage was turning. When I was thirteen, I worked at a uh, banquet house down the street washing dishes, and uh, all the whoever was playing at the Valley Forge Music Fair used to come to stop the, through. The, 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 to, yeah, they go there to eat, and uh, I um, met a lot of uh, people like um, Mac Davis. Um, oh damn! Yeah, I I changed a flat tire for Zero Mistel's limo. Um, really? Yeah. Damn. Okay. <laughs> he gave me he gave me a ride home. Gave me fifty bucks. <laughs> wow! Fix a limo and get a lift. Uh, do you remember the club Cahoots? Uh, there was like a Sheridan, a circular Sheridan hotel, like in the area. Oh, of, in uh, yeah, in Valley in Forge. Valley Forge. Yeah, I never had reason to frequent to that go there. club. Yeah, oh, okay. but I, I know they had that. That's the place that had the uh, the themed hotel rooms. Yeah. at the top. Yeah. 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 Um, I'm going down Philly memory lane, y'all. I'm sorry. No, I always wanted to go there. It's fine. Yeah. Um, so uh, for you, like listening to Lady B. Well, Lady B started off on WHAT. Um, Mary, do you know, remember Mary Mason? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Mary she, Mason. She was still on HHT. Well, she was still on yet until she died. She was yeah. So like they had a Saturday hip hop show. Um, one of the very first ones that Philadelphia had. Um, so I know that. Lady B started at HAT like 1980 right. till, which is weird considering that hip hop, you know, two years in having a two hour format, you know, you only had like 30 records to choose from. Uh, so you had to play all those 16 minute songs. And then they took and over it, the station that was the, um, there was the, uh, it, I think it, it was WIOQ. Right. Then they became, uh, it was Yesterday's Now Music Today. It was like New Wave. Mm -hmm. Then I think they moved her there. Right. And they built up the ratings. Like they, she was there. For, like it could have been, I, you know, I, I might have my facts wrong, but I believe it, it, they would play, it was all hip hop. It was massive. They sponsored shows at the after midnight mm -hmm. and then they sold it. Oh, really? And I think she went to Power 99. Yeah, I'm she not came sure. To, yeah. Well, she came to Power 99 84 briefly had an afternoon Sunday show from like 12 in the afternoon till uh maybe 5 p.m. on Sunday afternoon. And I mean there she would play hip hop and uh the electronica of the day. So sort of like nucleus yeah. and uh jam on it. Yeah, that sort of, you know. <laughs> boom. Anything boom, that sounded boom, like planet boom. rock. <laughs> and then she went away and then yeah and then returned uh in 1987 did you start out as management first like what was your first now, job I, in the I, industry i played i played in bands okay and um who did you play with i well my first my first thing when i when i when i joined it when i joined the navy um i played in i started a band for a bunch of other sailors and we, we did a bunch of gigs mm -hmm. and when i came home i um regrouped with my best childhood friend jeff coulter he was a drummer okay so when i was in the service he started 
really getting into, you know, because of Kraftwerk, he started getting into these other, I mean, Kraftwerk is kind of like at the, at the apex of this whole, like, community, like, of all these German groups, like Klaus Schultz, uh, Tangerine Dream, Neu, um, Everything so, that Dylan sampled. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and, so, and so when I came home, he had like literally over a thousand records of this okay. stuff. And he, we get them at uh, either Plastic Fantastic and Ardmore or the basement of, basement of Third Street Jazz. You mentioned Plastic Fant Fantastic. One of the greatest record stores ever. Right down the street yeah. from when I sold yeah. insurance on Lancaster Avenue. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, and wow. then, I would take my entire check to yeah. Plastic well, Fantastic. Well, and here's the thing. The, 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 the basement of Third Street Jazz, mm -hmm. that's all that was. And you would, you know, like a Klaus Schultz import was right. like 120 bucks, but you bought it because yeah. this was like, you know, Klaus doing a um, like two sides of a duet with some famous cellist and Klaus is playing with the GDS computer. And, you know, it's yeah. just very cool stuff. So so um, I had a set of um, Deegan Electra vibes. It's a portable vibe set of vibraphones that you like a suitcase and you, the stands. So I bought all my equipment, had it shipped back, and him and I joined up, and we started this group called Tangent. And we were, you know, just devotees to electronic music. So um, You released we, product? Oh, well, yeah, with WXPN. So <laughs> WXPN had two radio shows. One was called uh, Diaspar, and the other was called Star's End. They played and supported electronic music. We did shows... Um, so we did a tape for them, and uh, I remember we drove down to uh, their station on Spruce Street and um, jumped out of the car, double parked, ran in, knocked on the door. Some guy, you know, the buzzer opens the door, takes the tape, and like three nights later, we're, we're you know, every night that's all we did was jam and record, and we stopped to listen to um, – to uh, Star's End, and John D. Liberto comes on and says, yeah, we got a new tape from uh, a group from Philadelphia called Tangent, uh, Chris Schwartz and Jeff Coulter, and we're hearing the stuff. Now, I've, I've been wow. at the, you know, the Navy now three months, okay. and I'm already, you know. On the radio. Yeah, so so they hooked us. We, we went and played their picnic there, that they had, and um, then – we were we did a show at the East Side Club where we did Audubon. We played the whole version of Audubon oh, wow. there, and uh, met this this girl who was a filmmaker, and she introduced me to these guys that had a band called Rhythm Alliance. Uh, at this in this period in Philadelphia, Philadelphia had this really amazing live music scene for for bands, and mm -hmm. there was you know it's when you go down the South Street or. And you'd see these uh, bills on on telephone poles, mm -hmm. and there'd be like shows every night. You could mm -hmm. go out, you could go out and see any number of uh, the Stickmen, the Vels, Pretty Poison. Um, Ooh, pretty yeah, Poison, was, yeah, Pretty Poison. So catch me on Fallen Pretty yeah. Poison. Yeah, so so we joined. Jeff and I joined this bigger band called Rhythm Alliance, and it was more like a New Order Talking Heads type thing. And we we. We did a bunch of shows, opened up for Pretty Poison, The Vells, uh, shows with the Stickmen. We did shows at uh, Blondie's, Emerald Cities, Bigelow's, Phillies, um, and Eastside Club. Yeah. And um, But I wanted to get a record deal. That was my big thing. 
I wanted to, you know, get a record deal. And, you know, the guys, the, the other guys in the, in, in the band, they weren't, I don't know. They, they just had, uh, their priorities were in peculiar places. I don't know. So, uh, Jeff and I left, we, uh, we ended up moving, uh, to a house in West Philly, uh, that, a friend of mine, uh, Rich Murray, who is a Temple film grad. I know Rich Murray. Yeah, 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 Rich. And so we all we moved in together. We uh, we put a stu- we create put our studio in one of the rooms, and uh, so Jeff and I were now doing more traditional dance music, um, and met this girl, Robin Carter, who was uh, her. They called her Astro Girl because she had this uh, this total affinity for anything related to NASA and space travel. She <laughs> actually went on to get her degree in astrophysics, and she does work for NASA as we speak. Oh, shit. Really? Crazy. But she was a saxophone player. Her, uh, her, her landlord was Jack Wright from Spring Garden Music. So um, she had no, You're very... naming all these, like, Philly legends of, yeah. of record store owners. And... Yeah. Shout out uh, to Michael McQuilkin also from Third Street Jazz. Who... Yeah. You still but, give me all the good shit. So we, um, we, uh, she, she joined up with us. Uh, we came up with it. We called ourselves the Altronics, right? right? And we, um, we started doing gigs and, uh, she got us a gig at the gallery mall. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the <Wow>. gallery. <laughs> it was the fable gallery it was mall. A, it was a little different, you know, um, so you know we're we're doing our thing and people are kind of coming. They're standing there carrying looking. their shopping bags. They're looking at us for about three or four minutes and walking away. But there was a group of kids who were like watching us intently the whole time, and they're like talking amongst themselves, right? And they're just like the. So when we're done, they kind of like uh, they 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 walk over. And uh, this uh, kid introduces himself. His name is uh, Clinton Shirley. And um, his stage name was Kid Fresh. And he ah. and he said, uh, you know, we're a hip-hop group, and we'd like to know, could you guys help us do some beats? So we brought him over to our house, and um, like the next week, and we did a bunch of tracks on the second floor. And... Um, made this tape and so uh it, you know by this time we had amassed a bunch of 12 inch dance records so i started looking through these these records because i remembered there was a record label in philadelphia and it was virtue virtue records and i got the phone number now i got to go back a little bit okay because rich being you know as a filmmaker he was doing these videos for philly world records and he got me the gig as being the caterer during these video shoots right so i had met donald robinson and donald came over to our house i tried to get him to produce us and he said yeah i get what you're doing but your songs suck and i was like all right i get it (laughs) but but the thing is it's that when i called the number on virtue recording i i I kind of took the liberty of uh, bolstering the narrative and telling Frank Virtue that I was <laughs> gotta get I, where you fit. I was working with Donald Robinson, right? <laughs> and and that got Frank's attention, and so he said, "Come on up." So I went up to Frank and I I, I played him this uh, this stuff. He listened to it. Now Frank had been 
working has a partnership with a guy named uh, Vince DeRosa, who owned a company called Soundmakers in Jersey. And uh, for folks who might not know or maybe be interested, Soundmakers in the 80s pressed up all the records for Next Plateau, Sleeping Bag, Tommy wow. Boy. Um, indies. Uh, even Def Jam. Uh, yeah, all the indie labels. So, so they were the disc makers of yeah. that time? Oh, yeah. Oh, wait. Sound we, should know, we should also know that Donald Robinson, didn't he write Dreaming for Vanessa Williams? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah he Oh, did. Donald Donald did lots of. Uh, well, yeah, Grover Washington. Yeah, Eugene Wilde, you know. Got to get you home tonight. Well, you know what? I got to oh, tell you. Wow. Well, that song, you know, that song was a, was a, was really just doing sexual healing. Right. Coming yes. up a whole new vibe. <laughs> right. But it was still a great song, mm -hmm. you know? Um. Uh, so, yeah, well, that's where I met Donald because I was a caterer on, on Rich was doing the video. And living and I all was a Phyllis Hyman. Phyllis Hyman. Yeah. So, um, so Frank, Frank Virtue, and for people who know, he was a music industry old timer. He, uh, he played in the Philadelphia Orchestra as a teenager. He was a prodigy violinist. And okay. um, he led a, he, 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 they drafted him to the Navy to lead a, a big band, dance band in the Navy. He got out and he had a group called the Virtues and the Virtue the Virtues and the Virtuosos. He had a couple hit songs. He had Guitar Shuffle Boogie, uh, The Horse, The Return of the Horse. He toured with like Patty Page. And somebody sent me something on Facebook the other day. He actually did shows with the Three Stooges. It's a oh, warm up back row Three Stooges. Yeah. Really? Yeah. So um so so we Frank and Vince formed this record company called Slice Records and uh Clinton Shirley was one of their Kid Fresh was their first artist. So we we did these records up at Frank's and um it was a pretty pathetic affair in terms of a label. They <laughs> the, the pressing plan hired this guy in a pickup truck to drive Clinton and his uh hype guy around to the to the to the to the venues and everything and nothing ever came of it. Right. Uh but Clinton later on uh, changed his name to um, Mike Elliott. And oh, yeah. yeah, I knew that. I, I was leading up. Yeah. Whoa. <laughs> so who's yeah. Mike Elliott? Who's yeah. Mike, Mike Elliott. Elliott, the source. Yeah. But he, you know, but here's the thing. He 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 actually co-wrote the, um, what's the, the, kid, the sneaker, the movie. Um, Did he have other skins in TV and movies? Uh, no. Mike Elliott did the. The uh, Source Awards. Well, he, yeah. yeah. Hang on. I got to look. Yeah, Mike Elliott is one of the original uh, source award guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. Um, I didn't wait. I didn't realize. I forgot. He also had his own video show. Yeah. He had his yeah. own video show in Philadelphia. Um, it's killing me now. He went in the movies. Uh, Mike Elliott developed the Carmen movie. Oh, the, with, uh, Beyonce with Beyonce and most and most. Thus, birthing sometimes yeah, yeah. <laughs> in this in this very room that we're in. Uh, but yeah, Mike Elliott is a Philly legend. He wow, did, yeah, he did the script yeah. for Brown Sugar. I believe so. I know that he got into filmmaking heavy. Yeah, he no, he did the um, some something like Mike. What's it's at the um, yeah, like about Mike. the kid in the orphanage. Yeah, like Mike, like Mike. No, something like yeah. Mike. It said Brown Sugar was his first uh, but script no, episode. but this here's the thing, Rich Murray and I. We're out in LA at this years later, and we were at we were at some some film company, some studio. And the guy we're sitting there, and somehow we hear Mike Elliott's name. It's like Mike Elliott. I know Mike Mike Elliott. And 
And he said, uh, oh, yeah, you know, he's a hot property right now because he did um, the, the, this the movie. It's about a kid in an orphanage and something to do with a pair of sneakers. Like Mike. And Michael Jordan. Oh, like Mike. Mike. He did like Mike. Yeah, yeah. Like Mike. Yeah. Yeah. He did like Mike with yeah. uh, Bow Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um. Uh, I'm sorry. Shad no, no, Moss. Sorry. So, 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 <laughs> so I, so then, then the thing is the trade-off was Frank would let me use the studio to develop acts. I had to help him. Frank had a gospel business and what it would be is that, you know, a lot of the bigger churches mm-hmm. would record their gospel choirs. They would press up the records and, um, sell them to the congregation to raise money. Right. And so that was a big business of Frank's. Uh, Frank actually, interestingly enough, had a um, a very, um, you know, back before Sigma Sound and these companies, everybody went to Virtue to record. Kenny right. Kenny and, and Leon did a lot of their early stuff up there. Okay. And um, Frank, you know, I don't know if some many listeners don't know about the mastering process, but after a record is made and mixed, it has to be mastered. And what mastering is, is that you, you, it's a process for making sure that the, rec- the record that you made in the studio is reproduced everywhere else with the intended um, audio equalization. Right. So the record has to get mastered for manufacturing. Uh, so it's a, it's a whole other kind of mixing process. And, uh, Frank had been doing it for years. He held patents on the mastering. Pro- he ma- he mastered the first couple Beatles singles for uh, Swan and Decca mm-hmm. Records. So I I I did this whole thing with Frank for a while, and uh, it just kind of you know came came to nothing. And now like I'm working at Downey's as a cook and uh, living in West Philly, and I saw an ad in newspaper for record company looking for help and i'm like oh okay it's you know something and i call this guy up and he tells me he has a um a company called nice town records in west philly uh and uh his name was ted wing and uh one of his records was <laughs> bill cosby live and graded for prison yes yo remember <laughs> i told you the bill cosby record that yeah, he, that he yeah. curses so yeah so ted ted was formerly a prison guard Right. Okay. <laughs> and Ted helped actually helped Lawrence and Dana start start pop art. So um so so nice town. So yeah, so you know cut to Rich and I, you know, um also uh did a video for pop art. We did the um Roxanne's Roxanne's Revenge. Yeah. For, oh, yeah. Wow. We shot it at our house. As a matter of fact, there's um, a video for that? Yeah. I never knew. I yeah, never it's knew called it Roxanne's Revenge. Revenge. I remember uh, the record. Yeah, I, I'll tell you this. I uh, We shot at our house, and it had everybody that was involved in the actual story about how she got a record deal and got signed was in it. The shooting went till 3 in the morning, and I'll never forget coming downstairs in my in my living room. Uh, Marley Marr and Mr. Magic are in my living room on the couch, under blankets, eating cereal and watching cartoons. <laughs> <laughs> All right, y'all. You know what season it is. Tis the season for spring breaking and planning our summer travel. And if you're like me, you're already in your Airbnb app trying to find which spot is right for you. Now, listen, while I'm looking to spend all this money, what I'm not doing is thinking about making money with Airbnb. See, you got to change your mind state. 
make the money while you're spending the money. How, you say, Laia, do I make the money? Well, you host at your house. And I know what you're thinking. I mean, my whole house? Uh, well, no, you don't have to do your whole house. I mean, you could do a room or, you know, do the whole house. So make some money while you're spending some money this summer. I'm trying to tell you, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of. A degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Wait, can you take a, a slight sidebar? Yeah. And because whenever I get someone that tells a pop art story, usually it's, you know, told like, and then I met Lawrence Goodman. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> no, Dana was the dangerous one. Okay, well, uh-huh. this is what I want to know. Obviously, they had the makings to be a contender. Yes. Because they were Def Jam before Def Jam. Yeah. They had yeah. Salt and Pepper. They had all of the if juice it, crew. If it hadn't Biz. been for them, I'd have never tried to get a, a, a deal with a major label. Right. So how did they drop in the most diplomatic way you can say or if you don't give a fuck tell us the truth <laughs> how do they drop the ball on pop art they had something they had uh, i'll tell you what they had man they 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 cracked the code right long right. before a lot of people and here's what they realized hip-hop music right yeah you know, it was a it was the um, purview of the indie labels because for the first time since the whole disco era, you could now be an independent label. You could make a record. You could get it out there, and because you're using, you're facilitating uh, lifestyle marketing initiatives and every stuff that doesn't cost a lot of money, mm-hmm. but yet you have a product mm-hmm. that can go out. And sell big numbers, right? Mm-hmm. And the it, it was kind of like, um, uh, you know, the the majors were seeing this, you know, and they were they were coveting this whole thing. And the majors basically, and I I know no other way to say it, man, but they colonized the hip hop industry. Yes. I'm not talking hip hop music, but the hip hop business. They colonized they colonized it. Yeah, and so. So Lawrence and Dana figured it out 
earlier on before a lot of people, because these companies like Next Plateau and Sleeping Bag and everything all went by the wayside because yeah. they all chose to remain fiercely independent. And I get that. But when the popularity of a music becomes so big, you know, you're not going to be able to deliver to that demand. the manufacturing and the distribution. Mm -hmm. So they figured it out that you had to get with a major. And so that's when they did the deal of Jive, right? Yeah. And I, I watched that. And I was said to Joe, I said, that's that's where we need to be. That's that's what we, we need to do. So, yeah, but they had such a hefty roster. Oh, and they yeah. lost them all. They had Jazzy Jeff. Fresh, Fresh Prince. Prince. They had Salt and Pepper. They had Biz. Yep. Roxanne. Shantae. Uh, the Craig Hill, Hilltop Hustlers. Steady, cool scene, cool scene. Steady B. They had them yeah. all and lost them all. Like, were they just... I, I think whatever businessman I, I, or yeah, I think it's um you know the the for for what it's worth um there this business you know let's face it there there is no no prerequisite to get in the record business yeah. you don't it you takes don't all need, kinds. you don't need a college <laughs> degree you don't need a resident you don't need nothing and as a result of that and because of the the, the proliferation of all these visuals showing showing wealth and showing you know status and everything like that it attracts a lot Stutton. of people a lot of people who who feel like oh this is a business i can walk in and become a millionaire overnight right, right. and they had they i i always say they were great a and r guys and they had the musical chops but i think they they just lacked a lot in the in on the side of of business, business. yeah, and just wow, man, I don't know. I I want to do a try to get a, a good minute <laughs> with bulletproof. Y'all never <laughs> mentioned are they still around? I'm like, are they, they are because yeah, I, I still follow. Uh, well, you know the the youngster guys. Well, they're oldsters now. <laughs> yeah, Karan, I know. I One of them no. is still working with Gaga. Yeah, like. I, I don't know how. Are you but, talking about the ki the the kids? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like one of them is but, in her yeah. staff. But like, I, I but I'll tell you this. I'll tell you this. Lawrence and Dana were very. They have very definitive ideas. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And that's what that's to me. It's like you know they they again they cracked the code. They figured it out because I'll tell you when they did the deal with Jive and I'll never forget they came in the studio with their with their jackets at RCA and the hats and everything. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh, I was kind of like, at first I was like, oh man, they fucking, they sold, they sold out. out. They went yeah. with Jive and everything, you know? Mm -hmm. And then, and then, but then to hear him talk about it, it was like, it was like the, the, you know, it's like, well, that's, if you're, unless it's network. Now, if you're not with a major, you're going to, is what you're going to sink. Yeah. Okay. So, so all right. Go so back. we were at the Bill Cosby record, right? Right. So so Ted was a uh, prison guard at Greaterford, and um, he was the director of the uh, Prisoners Activities Fund. And so I think Bill Cosby. I think the story was to get his uh, PhD or his thesis. I mean, for whatever you could say about the man, he he. You know, this is a guy who who was uh, shooting I Spy. Right mm -hmm. in the '60s, and then flying to do uh, casinos to do shows, and getting his uh, co he constantly he continues education all throughout the whole thing by doing these projects. So he told the prison, "You can have 
whatever how you want to exploit this stand up, you can have it as long as the money benefits the prisoners' activities fund. So, uh, so Ted ends up with this record, and uh, you know, it doesn't have any real artwork or anything. It's uh, he had some rendering done. It was yeah. just really it's called hard headed boys. boys. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah. Uh, he he. <laughs> I'm, I walk from 48th and Hazel to 52nd and Parkside, looking for the address of this record company. Past got, my house. Yeah. And I this, lived on Osage. So, so there's this uh, daycare center, right? Ted's mother answers the door. She's like very uninviting. She makes me uh, wait for Ted. I have to sit in this chair that's like a foot high for little kids, and I'm sitting there for 20 minutes and like thinking this might not be the dream job. I was thinking it is. <laughs> Ted shows up. Takes me up to the third floor of this building in a room with like uh, crumbling plaster. The windows are nailed shut and there's a desk and a chair and a phone. And he shows me the billboard charts and how to call these retailers and get the record charted. And he paid me, you know, a couple hundred bucks a week. And so I was working the Bill Cosby record. Mm -hmm. And at the time, Bill Cosby from the Cosby show had done a, uh, jazz compilation right mm -hmm. so there were two bill cosby's re records out and i definitely took advantage of the confusions you know? <laughs> yes you did yeah, yeah i did and i was calling retailers and and doing that and uh so so we had a session ted signed a bunch of artists i can't even remember their names except for bunny sigler we did a bunny sigler record that was oh, wow. pretty cool mm -hmm. uh but we we had a session booked at Studio Four one night, and I'd only been to Studio Four once because I was involved in the WDAS Black History Month rap compilation with Eddie D and everything. Okay. And uh, so we go to the session at Studio Four, and our engineer is Joe Nicolo, and I'd never met Joe, you know? Uh -huh. And uh, we're in the session. We're starting. Now, Ted was a uh, pretty boisterous guy in that he was always bragging about yeah I got this deal going on with mca and doing this and doing that and everything and he's doing this in the studio and and i guess at one point i kind of rolled my eyes like out of you know and joe caught it right right so when ted walks out of the studio Joe's like, how did you end up working for this guy? And he said, well, you know, it's not my dream job, but, you know, I want to start a record label. And Joe goes like, yeah, well, so do I, you know? So here's my number, you know, we should get up at some point. Nice. So, so that happened, right? So back at Nice Town Records in West Philly, um, I was in Ted's office talking about something, and I see these, these records, these yellow labels, and I pick it up. And the song is called Gangster Boogie by Schoolie D. And it was on a record label called A Place to Be Records. Now, I had known about Schoolie for a long time. Right. And I know that, you know, you remember Bobby Dance and the Wind Ball yes. and all. Yeah, okay. So uh, Fruit of Islam Security and all that good stuff. Uh, I knew about his <laughs> whole thing. Right. Yeah. And... So I said to Ted, I said, so what, like, what's going on with these? He goes, oh, yeah, Schooly came to me, and he wanted, you know, me to do this and that for him. I told him I wasn't interested. And I'm like, what? what? Like, <laughs> this place, like, right. you know, Bill Cosby record, and Schooly D comes in, you're not interested? <laughs> so um, 
I, I filched uh, Schoolie's number out of Ted's Rolodex, and um, I call him up, and I said, look, you know, my name is Chris Schwartz, and uh, I think I can help you, and, um, you know, I know distribution and everything. I think you should start your own label and all this stuff, and he goes, yeah, oh, sounds good, man. You know, come over. Where do you live? And he, goes, oh, he lives like like a couple side, blocks above, above the daycare center. Right. So we set up a time, and I'll never forget this, man. I go to his house. I step up on the porch. I knock on the door. He answers the door, and he's wearing a towel. And he sees me on his porch. <laughs> he sees me on his porch, and then he kind of looks around to see who's seeing me on his porch. Right. You know? And he goes, uh, yeah, man, I'm taking a shower. And he shuts the door. And I'm standing there like, like, you know, what what just happened, right? Right. So um, I call him up later on. He goes, oh, you need to talk to my lawyer, Warren Hamilton. And before I could ask for Warren's number, he hangs up. And I look up Warren. I met with Warren. Eventually, we met all of us, three of us together. I said, look, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, we're gonna shoot some videos. Uh, we're going to do this whole thing. I'm going to get your record, you know, distributed. Uh, and I'm going to set up distribution. And, um, uh, and that's how I started working with him. And, um, uh, so, so at the, this is at the beginning of PSK. Yeah. Or? Yeah. So how did you, who's he had I recorded, he just recorded PSK in Gucci time, right. but he had not done the album yet. Okay. And we recorded the album. This is a crazy thing. We recorded it in Center City at a little eight-track studio that recorded the Philadelphia Orchestra. Oh wow. And there was no no EQ, no real equipment. And so we they had one of the old big plate reverbs, you right. know, like yeah, yeah. um you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Like, um and it was just uh we should also shout out All right, Spawn What's Jeff's true last name? Because I keep on saying Jeff Cheesesteak. No, Jeff Chestick. Jeff, yes. Jeff, well, are, I, are, are you ready? Are you ready about you want to hear, You want to hear a Jeff Chestick trivia fact? Yes, hit me. Him and I went to junior high together. Really? <laughs> You've known Cheesesteak that long? I knew Jeff Chestick since um, 1972, 73. Jeff, yeah. When Jeff used to mix here... Um, I forgot what project I was working on, but um, he told me the very first story of, and he never gave the title. Yeah. It was so, you know, I was like, well, I want more reverb, more reverb. And when he did this, I was like, yeah, this is just like in PSK. He's like, well, yeah, I mixed that. And I know you're me. probably like, what? You're like, what? <laughs> yeah. Can I tell you, Jeff Chesick, I, I know we, we were in AV, AV club together, right? And mm -hmm. we, we did these, AV projects, right? right? And this is in uh, seventh grade. He did this thing where, you know, because you have audio, you have uh, video equipment. Right. And he did this thing where it was an elevator going up in a store and opening up in the different departments and everything. Mm -hmm. It was really, it was clever, you know, in the seventh grade. I thought the guy had real ch talent, you know, chops. Um, yeah, he did. So, so, um, so basically, we're now doing stuff and um i was going through it, it was a lot of schoolie up till then had been doing primarily west philly north philly hip-hop shows and everything mm -hmm. and 
I started sending out his record to like rec- remember uh, Metro Record Pool, Martin Keown. Yes, right? I do. Um, next thing you know, my I'm getting phone calls like these clubs, white clubs, right? Mm-hmm. Loving Schoolie D, right? And I'm sending out the record to like uh, all these rec- all these uh, one stops and independent distributors. Mm-hmm. Um, and like City Hall Records in um, San Francisco, um, um, West Coast Record Distributors, Schwartz Brothers down in Baltimore, Maryland, Encore Distributors up in up in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. And the thing about in the independent record distribution business at the time is that it's very hard to get paid. And the reason they're very difficult in paying you is because if you're a new independent label and you have a record that goes out there and sells that's all fine and well but what they don't want to do is pay you and then when they get hit with returns they go to call up and your phone's disconnected so you have to you have to have like and i used to go up i remember driving up to encore distributors in in the car and i'd have a car stacked with records in the back and in the trunk and I'd sleep in the parking lot overnight, you know, wait for these guys wait to, get in, to, right. get in, to get a check and to give them the records. So at one point I, I got I set it up to where I was sending out the singles and they were paying half COD. So the pressing plant and I had a whole thing set up. And then uh, these kids would call in different areas and see because we had no radio airplay. So I started uh, getting these kids to take the records to like barbershops, pool halls, uh, retailers, because it was just like on a Saturday. Where do you go to find new music? You go to the record store. The so DJ sound in the market record store. and all those. Yeah. So it, it, there's a whole thing where you could release a 12 inch, right? Mm-hmm. On a Friday, you you give it to the clubs, you give it to the mix show. Saturdays, you get the guys playing in the store, and Saturdays, they're again, it's in the mix show and in the clubs. By Monday, you knew if you had something, right? Okay. It was that fast. That was the excitement of putting out putting out records. So they're calling you saying like, "I need five hundred more." Or, yeah, okay. and so, and so, uh, we we ran into a little schism with uh, sound makers because I was at Downtown Records in up in New York City one day, and I saw that they had our PSK Gucci Time record, and. It's our label. Everything's the same, except it says distribute through Warlock Records. And I thought, wow, this MC is MC Search. Yeah. yeah. Right. yeah. Warlock, Warlock Records. That's, that's, yeah. that's, you know, Roulette, Morris Levy, oh, and Son no. Adam Levy. Yeah. So, so uh, I didn't call Warlock. But I'll, I'll never forget this, man. I, I went to the counter, and there was this guy who's like, literally right out of central casting for, for you know, Big guy, gangster like, guy. Yeah, again, big. I was about to say, big, were you your big, own collector? Big thick glasses and a cigar, you know. Uh-huh. And he's sitting behind the counter. And he goes, "Yeah, at least Warlock can get the records uh, pressed up and delivered when we need them, right?" So, um, what do you mean, collector? Like, like d- you were your own distributor? Like you did? Yeah, I did. Yeah, what I would back do- in those days though, didn't you need some muscle? Oh no 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 no! The thing is, for, in terms of collecting, we had a we had a company set up. It was School ED Records, and it, no, I would send them to you know distributors. But we also 
operated kind of as our own one-stop. Because here's the thing. Schooly on his own had started out, you know, Chino at Funko Mart. Right. And giving them records and everything. Mm-hmm. And that became a little bit of an issue because when I hooked us up with uh, Universal, you know, uh, you know, they 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 fronted us the money to press records. Right. And then they go to solicit Funko Mart in He's these places. Side deal. And they're yeah, that yeah. that was schooly. He was always doing shit like that. Right. But um <laughs> shit, but, I was doing that and yeah, I was on Geffen. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so like I got a box so, of thirty right here. What yeah, you want? What you yeah. So, so, um, so we, uh, you know, but a lot of, a lot of really crazy things happen. And, and then it's, it was amazing that, that the record just suddenly took on this whole momentum, you know, mm-hmm. and suddenly the orders started happening, you know, and it was, and we, you know, the album. Were you in a place where like the demand was sort of. Demand, overwhelming demand, what you could supply yeah because because i every time i needed schoolie to write a check to press up records if i needed you know 642 dollars mm-hmm. he'd give me Two hundred and forty-two dollars. You know, right. it was just, it was just, yeah, it was just like, we, everything. You cover my constantly a day late and a dollar short. You know, uh. day late and a dollar short. I booked them in a bunch of rock clubs, and you know, in the in the early days of hip hop, um, hip hop promoters for the most part were guys that that didn't see doing one-off hip-hop shows is like career building blocks. It was more of a score for them. Right. Mm-hmm. So artists get jacked all the time. And because of this, you know, Schoolie always demanded his money up front before he went on stage. And I get that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But when you're doing a rock club, right, that's a an established venue that, you know, that deals with booking agents and everything like that, they don't they don't stiff bands because if they did they'd be persona non grata they'd never be able to book but you know we would do these shows and uh he'd want his money up front and then the idea of these club managers and he'd have to count the money out of the receipts and everything and then the next thing you know he gets on stage and what do hip hop artist shows in the 80s do they do their couple songs and then they go and they that's be out. It. then they roll right and you got these kids that drove from delaware and everything. they're like yeah that's it so that was that was a whole mess and you know but anyhow uh so i called up joe i had that business card from studio four and uh we uh we got together decided let's start this record label and i was managing schoolie mm-hmm. and uh my first office, you know the, you know the building, you know the. My first office was when you get down into that basement floor when you come through the door. Yeah. The Studio Four built, right? They built because Larry, they built a B room for Larry to put his Larry Gold, but it's in Clavier in there. Mm-hmm. Well, there was a vestibule. <laughs> there was a vestibule between that that room and the hallway. Right. That was my office. Oh, okay. It was like four feet wide. And uh, my desk was made of plywood covered with uh, red vinyl because it was the original reception desk for the studio. Right. And I had a little lamp 
and Joe bought in like a pink princess phone from home, and that was <laughs> that was, <laughs> that was, that was the phone. And and that's where that's where we that's where the actual business started, and then we moved into that to the other room, which is uh, the bigger room that I know. Yeah. Okay, wow. So, oh, but no, yeah. And then we moved down the hall later on, took over that whole area down the hall. Okay, too. I miss but, it there, man. Yeah, you know what? I gotta tell you, man. I uh, it's funny because got years later. You know, you 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 get you go through these periods where you have gold platinum records every year and it's just never ending. But I looked back on those days and I was like, I was always broke, but I just had so much fun, you know? The time of your life. Yeah. All right, y'all. You know what season it is. Tis the season for spring breaking and planning our summer travel. And if you're like me, you're already in your Airbnb app trying to find which spot is right for you. Now, listen, while I'm looking to spend all this money, what I'm not doing is thinking about making money with Airbnb. See, you got to change your mind state. Make the money while you're spending the money. How, you say, Laia, do I make the money? Well, you host at your house. And I know what you're thinking. I mean, my whole house? Uh, Well, no, you don't have to do your whole house. I mean, you could do a room or, you know, do the whole house. So make some money while you're spending some money this summer. I'm trying to tell you, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of. A degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. So when was Rough House as we know it officially, officially born? We we, we first, first we, we started, we had this really stupid ambiguous name pyramid productions i don't know how that came about okay but that lasted for like about a couple months and roughhouse i'd have to say was probably born ooh, i want to say 86 maybe 86 i don't i i know it's in my book because i i had to put together a bunch of events to you know to figure out when it happened right but i know where it happened um, we were in uh, Arthur Mann's office, our attorney. 
mm-hmm. uh, who w- later went on to found Ryko Disc, the first CD label yeah. in the history of music, mm-hmm. which was an amazing thing. Uh, and uh, there was a, a uh, cassette by some rock band called Roughhouse, R-O-U-G-H. Right. And Joe said, you know, that'd be a great name for a record label. And I was thinking, yeah, it's like, you know, and I had a pretty rough house growing up, you know, my childhood and everything. Uh, but we should change it to R-U-F-F to keep it, you know. Rough. Yeah, keep right. it rough. And um, and that was really the birth of the label. Our first artist was a was an artist named uh, Mac Money. Uh, Mia Mac Evans, her... Um, she 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 was a Philly battle rapper who did a uh, answer record to PSK. That, really? That, yeah, it was actually it was really good, and um, so we we signed her and uh, and about there was a group called the Dead Milkmen. Do you remember the Dead Milkmen, yeah. the rock group? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, their managers they were distributed by a company on the West Coast called Enigma. Enigma was a um, was. Uh, a company that did really obscure alternative, like Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds, right? Right. Um, here, let me tell you how obscure this music was. I was living on Girard Avenue, mm-hmm. and uh, I had bought a um, a Jaguar, an uh, XJ6. Somebody broke into my car one night, and when we went out to Enigma, they gave us all these records to, to bring home, right? Mm-hmm. And so I had all these all these uh, cassettes of all these different artists, these rock artists. Somebody broke into my car, went in the glove compartment, and they took everything except that anything that was released on Enigma. whoever whoever the car thief was he he basically took his time deciding deciding (laughs) deciding which 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 records he wanted wait steve remember that happened to us yeah yeah Yeah. someone broke into my car and left the the no roots albums (laughs) no they 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 i i had uh a johnny i just seen walk the line so i was like all right let me buy everything johnny cash so i went and brought the Johnny Cash box set, all this stuff, and then I like brought Orange Blossom Joni, Special, Joni Mitchell's yeah. like work and stuff, and they like left everything, and I had a pair of Converse sneakers, and my door was open. I got there, and I was like, "Wait, someone broke in my car!" But I was like, "Why didn't they take anything?" And Steve looked, <laughs> and he's like, "This is why." Yeah. <laughs> Just they like, want none of that shit. They didn't want none of that shit. <laughs> oh, so you guys started in '86. I remember you guys went through like a couple of logos, so that's oh, how yeah. I know the yeah, progression yeah, yeah. Of, of the label. Um, I first heard of you guys, um, I guess through, uh, was Larry your first uh, album signing or? Larry Lair? Yeah. Uh, no. We had a um, a group called Blackmail. Um Larry Lair was one of the first. I don't know if he was absolutely the first. Okay. okay. Um, but it's funny because he was definitely before Tim Dog. Right? Yeah. Oh, I was waiting. I was just waiting. Yeah, yeah. yeah you I can't forgot about Tim Dog. Yeah. Oh my yeah. God. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> is he all right? All right. What are your guesses? Okay. Listen. Where is he at? Where is Tim Dog? I um, know one of the joints he finessed. So you don't think he's, you don't think he's dead? 
Oh, I don't think he's dead at all. Word? Uh, oh, wait, you I, think I, he's no, dead? No, I I'm, think I think he's dead. Man. Wow. No, I, I hope he, I get I, I mean, know. Uh, I, guess uh, I hope he did. No, I didn't mean, say hope he's dead. <laughs> no, I just in my book, I said uh, in memoriam, you know. Yeah, Tim, Tim, no, I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure he passed away because he was sick. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Mm, yeah. Okay. So, do y'all know the scandal? Yes. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. We watched scandal? the Tim Dog oh, yeah. Dateline. The Tim Dog. Yeah. Man, that shit was oh, amazing. Yeah. Can y'all, what's the short of it? I don't, um. Tim Dog, he was basically like meeting chicks online and like finessing them out of money and shit. And, and was, then he, was, and then he died. You know quote mean? unquote. Quote unquote died. Man, putting that record out, man. Like, were y'all? What was the thought? Were y'all worried about any oh, West Coast? It, like, it was a, it was it was a dicey proposition. But um, you know, I said to Tim at one point, right? I said, you know, this is you can't you can't go and tour on the West Coast, dude. It's just you know you're. And and he got this whole thing. I he, don't care. He goes, no, yeah, exactly. He, said, he goes, I'm dissing gangs and everything and all that stuff. Um, but you know, the the crazy thing was is that that record, like, uh, I forgot where it charted. I think it went to maybe number seven or number five on on the on the rap singles chart. But it was the first ever music video. That was sold as a commercial release. In other yes. words, oh, wow. we sold. You sold the VHS. Yeah, we sold over a hundred thousand VHSs for nine ninety nine. Wow. Yeah. So, uh, and you know what's crazy too? The album Penicillin on Wax. This is like hip hop at this point started really becoming, you know, like an album oriented thing where. Uh, if you if you if you had a hit hip hop single in the early '80s and you did an album, it was a good guess that your album was going to do well because the single drove it. But then I think you know the the fans really started to want more of a narrative, you know. Um, right. And Tim the novelty was weird. Yeah, off. and Tim could not break out of that narrative, you know, uh, his narrative. He could <laughs> not he could not expand on it. But the production. Yeah, on the album love cool. and TR love because yeah. some company did created something it was like uh where you can mix in quad it was really cool and they they let joe hold on to this machine for for like a month or so and he mixed the tim dog album on it and i'll never forget listening to that in headphones i was like god this sounds so amazing just mm-hmm. uh but the yeah the record uh didn't really yeah didn't, i bought yeah. it um because at that time that was when like i just rough house like i would buy like anything I saw based on a label, yeah. just on the label. So I was like, Tim, I'm like, all right. And um, I came to appreciate that much later. Me, uh, shout out to my man Jay Zone, who was like, we were like yeah. the only two people in the world that rocked Pendleton and Long Wax. <laughs> and like, the I'm sort of there. Oh yeah, <laughs> it's, it's. I mean, if you look at it, it's like, I mean, it's comedy, but it's just, it's just a man just hollering, and that shit is amazing. He's, like, he has a song yeah, called "The Dog's yeah. Gonna Get You." Dog's gonna get you. Dog's gonna get you. And then all this reverb gets robbed. (laughs) (laughs) Also, how did how did you guys um, get connected with Cypress? So, I uh, while managing Schooly, right, starting the label, I also. Did I promoted shows? I promoted shows at the uh, the the Trocadero and the Chestnut Cabaret. 
Rest in peace to the Chaka Yeah. Just shut and, down. And uh, I also managed a group called Executive Slacks. Um, Executive Slacks, for my best way to describe what they were, it was Nine Inch Nails years before Nine Inch Nails. Oh, wow. As a matter of fact, the same label, Network Records up in Canada, used to license the Slacks off of us. Okay. Um, it was a... Um, it was a drummer named uh, Bobby Ray who played standing up, playing those uh, electronic drums, mm -hmm. and a keyboard player and a singer named, and to play guitar named Matt Morello. Uh, I'll tell you one record that, you know, I just tell everybody if they're even vaguely curious about this group, uh, it's called Fire and Ice. And it's an awesome record, and it's real techno rock. Way back, long before this stuff it was really thing. came came of age. So, um, so there is a A and R guy at Geffen Records in Los Angeles named Mio Vukovic, and Mio was a DJ prior to becoming an A and R guy. And there was another guy who was an A and R guy who was a uh, he was a lawyer for Warner Brothers Records who became an A and R guy. And him and Mio kind of formed like a partnership. And uh, Mio's two favorite artists in the world was Schoolie D and Executive Slacks. And um, so he called me up one day and we got to know each other. He flew out. We hung out. And him and Jeff had signed two hip-hop artists to Geffen. One of them was a group called 783. Oh, mm -hmm. Colin Kelly. And they were um, produced by Lawrence Muggs Muggerud. <laughs> and the Muggs. other group was a group called Silk Times Leather. Yeah, I remember. Produced, them. produced by Jermaine by Dupree. Jermaine Dupree. Uh -huh. So okay. um, those projects were what they were. You know, they, I just, they, they just didn't happen, but Joe mixed them. And I helped Mark and promote the singles. Now you gotta remember at this point, I also I also had a mark. I, I was marketing records for other labels because all the labels that couldn't sign. You know, we ended up signing Schoolie to Jive Records, mm -hmm. but every label wanted them. Everybody, uh, Electra, Warner's, Capital, they they all wanted to sign Schoolie. So the, the so the the guys that didn't didn't sign them, they'd sign their hip hop acts. They they called me up. And they say, can you help us, right? So now I have, like, this little company doing this. Uh, I, Rose Mann, who I was Rose Mann. Yeah, my I was boss, in, Rose Mann. I, I was engaged to Rose at the time. And ah. she started doing retail promotion. And uh, Jackie Paul, the rap chart editor for Hits Jack Magazine. Yeah. So we had a little company, right? right. So we worked uh, Easy e NWA, Tone Loke, Young MC, a whole host of other records. So we did this whole thing with um, with Geffen for 783 and Silk Times Leather. Uh, we marked and promoted the record, and Joe mixed it. And the records didn't happen, but, um, you know, we started a relationship with uh, Jermaine and his father, Michael Malden. Michael, Michael was the tour manager for the Fresh Fest and, um, and did a lot of stuff with Russell and Def Jam and everything. Right. Um, so, so Joe was out in LA, mm -hmm. um, working, mixing Mellow Man Ace, 
uh, Mentorosa. Mentorosa. And Meloman is Sen's brother from Cypress Hill. And so Meloman was telling Joe he should check out my brother's hip-hop group, which was coincidentally produced by Muggs. So Joe brings this cassette home, and we listen to it, and we're digging it and everything. And it's funny because we, we went up to Columbia that day, and I'll never forget because Joe's brother Phil came with us, and we had a meeting with uh, scheduled with Kevin Woodley, who was our A and R Kevin, yeah, yeah up there. And when we got there, they said, "Oh, Kevin's no longer here." And it's like, "Oh, well, what's a yeah? Oh, but yeah, you guys, you could talk to Kurt Woodley." And Kurt replaced mm-hmm. him. Oh, wow. So one Woodley's out, the other Woodley's in. No right. relation. And Kurt, Kurt was kind of cut from a different cloth, A and R wise. He was more more i i think much more kind of in tune intuitive with with everything that was going on mm-hmm. and kurt wasn't feeling larry lair and he was unapologetic about it, you know and we went round and round and kurt's whole thing was that he felt that the uh the the will smith dougie fresh storytelling style of hip-hop you know yeah oh you know i didn't even tell the whole chiba story but that's all right we don't need to get in that um chiba was actually our first record Okay. With, with with Columbia. Right. When we did. And um and so when we left, as I'm leaving, I give him a copy of the Cypress Hill tape. I said, Well, you might dig this in, right? And he called me up that night and he said, he goes, Oh man, that's Cypress Hill. He goes, I played that for Donnie. That's like we gotta do this. Donnie Einer. Donnie yeah, Einer. yeah, Donnie yeah. Einer. And um and so uh, Cypress Hill, what happened to have been in the studio, they were cutting five songs for their publishing deal of BMG. And so we offered a singles deal and they sent us the five songs and then it became an album deal. And so that was such uh, a groundbreaking oh my God. moment. If you remember who Han Soul was, yeah. uh, I met Han Soul from. Well, he's like signed to Epic or something. You are not the one. Was that a joke? Yeah, no. Uh, Imagination. Ah, uh, Hansel. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, he yeah. had like uh, this spiked or this. He had the hair. I'm sort oh, of a weird the gospel, <laughs> like the gospel Hansel rapper. Was, he's, well, he's a gospel rapper yeah. now. Yeah, yeah. now, oh, but wow. back then, yeah. back then he was part of that, that like that school of like like Kwame and yeah, yeah, yeah and that whole. So we had met Hansel on the on the at the Motown Philly um, <laughs> video. And Hans lived about maybe 12 blocks away from me. But during the crack area, 12 blocks is, you know. Forever. That's, 12, 12 blocks is. It's, that might be 20 blocks in crack years. Yeah, 20 <laughs> crack years. <laughs> so it's like 7 p.m. And he's like, yo, man, I just came back from New York. At, at, he said, I came, I came back from New York. Yo, I'm going to change your life. He said, y'all got to get here. Me and Tariq, we were like his little interns, you know, whatever, always <laughs> rolling around. Hans is really responsible for Tariq being the freestyle master he is now because Hans used to do that a lot. So we like, all right, it's going to be nighttime, running through West Philly. Somehow we got to Hans's block, and he's like, he, he no buildup. He just said, listen to this. First song he plays is Summertime. By Jazzy Duff from Fresh Prince. Oh, and we couldn't guess. He's like, guess who this is? And we still didn't know 
That was Will and Jeff, like, by the second verse. Wow. Rock him. And then he puts pigs on. Oh, yeah. shit. And we were like, what the hell? We just, we, oh, man. That, you have the scanners and everything. And see, you know the machine I was telling you about that he mixed Pelson on wax yeah. with the quad? Right. He used that for the police scanners. Really? So it's like, <laughs> you know, like the yeah, police, yeah, 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 all crazy the shit. Yeah. No, Joe's no joke. Yeah. Makes it, man. Nah, that album fucked me up, man. I, that shit. And man. it came from nowhere. Uh, yeah. yeah. Well, so, yeah. Here's, here's, here's the other thing, too. It's that, it's that we shipped like 30,000 plus albums. And you ever, you ever seen the um, well, Bugs Bunny, dad, you know, the thing where he jumps out on stage and there's crickets? Mm-hmm. That's what it was like. It was like like nothing, nothing, right? And the weeks are going by. And it's like, what's going on here? You know, and people right. are calling DJs or people are loving this record, but nothing. And then uh, the the... B-side of the one um, Killer Man ends up in Juice, where Omar... Oh, the Funky Phil yeah, one. Where, well, nah, where, yeah. Killer Man was Funky in Funky Phil yeah. one was the A-side. Yeah, Funky Phil yeah. was the A-side. But uh, the, he's... Uh, uh, Tupac Kishore's character is chasing Omar in the elevator. the party. Yeah. I could just kill and a man. you yeah. could watch, you could sit there in the theater, and you could suddenly see people, like, hmm. you know. And then it just exploded. Then Now it's selling 50,000 copies a week. Yeah. And it's just like because I bought the Pow. Juice soundtrack thinking it was on that and it wasn't, and, but Shoot 'Em Up was on the joint. Yeah, it just it, it was just a, it's it's it was a like just a real innovative masterpiece. Wait, speaking of Studio uh, Fort, where is uh, where is Kravitz today? Um, Studio Four West Coast. What? He has a studio for it in the West Coast. It, it's I think it's in Venice Beach. Andy Funky Drummer a- Kravitz. Andy Funky Kravitz. Drummer Kravitz. Yes. You know what? Uh, I Matt, I'm going to give props. You know, Andy. To me, and for where, you know, what I knew at the time, I I just thought the guy was the most incredible, gifted musician. You know, mm-hmm. um, him and I. You know, we started out cool. And then there was a period where we didn't get along for a long time, you know? But then later on, he ended up moving uh, to a house near ours. Our wives, you know, became friends and, mm-hmm. um, you know. Uh, but he, uh, yeah, he started uh, the Studio 4 West. Studio 4 West, okay. All right, y'all. You know what season it is. Tis the season for spring breaking and planning our summer travel. And if you're like me, you're already in your Airbnb app trying to find which spot is right for you. Now, listen, while I'm looking to spend all this money, what I'm not doing is thinking about making money with Airbnb. See, you got to change your mind state. Make the money while you're spending the money. How, you say, Laia, do I make the money? Well, you host at your house. And I know what you're thinking. I mean, my whole house? Uh, Well, no, you don't have to do your whole house. I mean, you could do a room or, you know, do the whole house. So make some money while you're spending some money this summer. I'm trying to tell you, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? 
With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of. A degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. The time that uh, I met you at the one of those Philly Hall of Fame thingamajiggers or whatever, you you and Roseman was there. Yep. And... Um, Really, I mean, yeah, I was there to see my dad get inducted, but really, I was trying to make a beeline to you two to see if like I could intern at Studio Four, and this is right, this is right on the crest of crisscross, like yeah, about to dominate the world, and yeah, I I, I, I think I, you guys hired me on the on the on the on the strength of. That Chris Ross Cross was blowing up so fast, yeah. Because th- my first day there, I was I felt like I was part of the Michael Jackson Dangerous tour. <laughs> I was mailing all these. I remember. Uh, I, I remember the first time I ever saw you. You were sitting there at the big conference table, mm. and the thing is, it's it's funny. They gave me this Q and A thing for my book, and they you know they one of the questions was about you and everything, and they said, and I said, I'm you had a knapsack on, right? Yeah. And you didn't take it off. Never. And I thought like, <laughs> no, so so Back I'm walking past and I said, yeah, this back. kid's got a knapsack on. Like, it must be kind of uncomfortable sitting there wearing a knapsack, stuffing records in and everything. And then like I walked past a half hour later, you still had the knapsack on. And I thought, <laughs> well, maybe he's afraid that somebody's going to snatch it if he puts it down. You know, like no. I didn't know. You know, it just... I always carry my soundtrack with me. You yeah. never know. Every yeah. every superhero needs his own yeah. thing. Free iPod. Yeah, that's the crisscross record. I I I'll tell you this. Um, if if things start blowing up, then it's Tommy and Donnie and Kevin Glitwin. Kevin Glitwin. You know, no. Kevin's here. Okay, so he's yeah, yeah. Team Philly. Yeah. So if it's like. A major, if it's Lin Q or Larry Larry, then it's like, oh, that's rough house. Lin Q, that's really, that's a good, that's good yeah. Lin Q. But, you know, if things start getting successful, then it's suddenly Sony like, oh, yes, that was all us. Thank oh, yeah, you. oh, yeah. No, I, I'll tell you what. It was it was so funny. Like, what's the politics it with? Was, oh, my God. Dude, I, I did, I was on CNN Power Lunch thing, right, doing an interview. Mm-hmm. And... Then my my cell phone rings, 
And it's a executive from Columbia Records who I just won't, I don't want to embarrass him, so I'm not going to mention his name. Mm -hmm. But he was saying, you know, Chris, um, you know, he goes, I got to tell you something, you know, Tommy really likes you. I said, yeah, what? I like Tommy. Yeah, but you know what, man? You know, Tommy likes his guys to be like, you know, laid back. And And so this, and so here's the thing. This this guy is talking to me. He's coming through like on this frequency that I'd never heard from him before, Mm -hmm. you know? And then I kind of put it together that he's sitting there talking to me and Tommy's sitting right there. And then he starts telling me stuff like, well, you know, like, you know, Tommy, like, you know, he's really like, you know, Tommy's a star. He's a star and all this stuff and this whole thing. But when crisscross happened, um, there was a picture of Tommy, Donnie, and me and crisscross staying in front of us and Rolling Stone magazine, like, Two weeks later, there is the picture, but where did I go? Oh, (laughs) Oh, yeah. It was like that all the time. Really? Uh, Yeah. Yeah. You got totally crossed out. When we get to another another part of the story, I'll I'll tell you something that's really just, and I can't believe I had fallen for it, but- but you became a star Chris, in your own right, though, Chris, because we I, could see you on like I, Stern and everywhere. Yeah, else. but like, you, but you know, I wasn't, I wasn't trying, you know, I, I wasn't trying. Yeah. I, uh, but the crisscross record, and and I'll make, uh, I'll make a an admission here that you know I talk about in the book. I, it, I didn't like the song. That wasn't when we got the crisscross, like the demos. They had a song, "Little Boys in the Hood," right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what what it was about? It was about Two kids, 12 years old, trying to make that decision. Okay, well, my role models are like, you know, these uh, the the gangsters with the clothes and the cash and the cars and everything. Do I want to do that or do I want to do this? And I thought that was a really interesting thing for a hip-hop record, you know? Like that and coming from these little kids. So that's what I thought it was going to be, right? Jump didn't happen till later on in the project. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was a, I just kind of thought it was a noisy little song, you know? And, <laughs> well, it literally uh, is. It, it, it is. is. It's, it's a noisy little, like annoying little, like, you know, thing. And uh, so, so Michael Malden, uh, David Kahn at Columbia Records uh, and our guy, he said, you guys should put a bass line on this song. So Joe goes and puts a bass line on it. And they mix it. And I was leaving Rough House one night. And this is when we had the, the one-room office, the glass doors. Mm-hmm. And a fax came through. Remember faxes? Mm-hmm. Fax comes through. <laughs> and it was from Michael Malden. And it said, Chris, Jump is going to be a number one song smash. Michael, I should have kept that. I should really? have kept it. Okay, so here's what happened. Um, we we um, Rosie Perez was the um, talent coordinator for uh, In Living Color, mm-hmm. and Rich had shot Rich Murray shot the crisscross video down in Atlanta. Uh, it was the first time it ever snowed in Atlanta in like 32 years, right? <laughs> and we shot the video for uh, like $18,000, right? Right. 
and they performed on In Living Color. The next day, we're, my wife and I, I lived on City Line Avenue, and my wife and I were at the Overbrook Diner, and uh, I was really hungover. And my wife was giving me a bunch of shit. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I was just like, all I wanted to do was just eat and, you know, it was a weekend. And, um, but I'm hearing this older middle-aged couple sitting catty quarter from us. And the guy was going on and on about crisscross, right? This older white guy, he goes, these kids were so amazing and blah, 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 blah. And I thought, wow. I looked at Mer and I said, I think this record's gonna this record's gonna blow up. And uh yeah, it was uh it was like a behemoth. I, I can remember I, can I ask one question about yeah. jump besides the money? <laughs> but uh can you clarify something? So obviously my, my guess is the backstory with jump around. Oh yeah. I'll tell you all about it. Right. Of course the end of the record, uh yep. Joe the Biter, Niccolo. Right. <laughs> right. Which, okay. My my guess is that because both acts recorded for Rough House. Not no. Well, wait, wait, uh, t- yep. wait, let me let me get my theory out yeah. to see if I'm right yeah, or wrong. Yeah. Because Muggs, producer of Jump Around, was also a producer at at, at Rough House. Yeah, at Rough House. My guess is, and I always wanted to know this, because I would do the same thing. Because the the same uh, midnight, what's the, what's the break of of uh, Pluck Tunin? Midnight uh, Manziel's uh, uh, midnight theme or something. Like that? Yeah, all right. Yeah, it's midnight theme. So the midnight theme drums uh, that Cypress used on Killer Man, right? Uh, That's all mugs, right? My guess is that, okay, let me use some, you know, that some of Muggs' tools were utilized. Nope. Okay, that's all I wanted to know. I'm going to tell you exactly. Besides the the jumping song. I'm going to tell you exactly what happened. Tell me. Okay, so we, I passed on a lot of great artists. Uh, you know, and tell I, me who I, you passed I, on. I, I passed on uh, House of Pain, Arrested Development. Uh, um, Keys. <clears throat> what? what was that? Yeah. On who on Alicia Keys? Oh, oh. oh I know that's painful. I, I mean, know. Jermaine Dupri kind of did too. So, well, no, you well, know he, what? No, but you, here's the thing. It's it if if you were there. You know what I mean, but anyhow, but let me let me get back to the story. They first. were wrong. So 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 okay. um so we got a we got the demo from Mugs for House of Pain. Mm-hmm. Okay, it was good, but it wasn't in our humble estimation at the time there yet. But you know who can hear what in a demo in this day and age, right? But here's the bottom line: there was not a song called Jump on that demo. It wasn't there, okay? Number okay. one. Number right. one. Number two, right? Amanda, Cypress's one half of Cypress management team, Amanda Shear calls me up and she says, here's how she, so you guys have a song coming out called Jump. And I said, yeah, crisscross jump. Well, 
House of Pain has a song called Jump, and you guys stole it and gave it to Crisscross, right? And I was like, that's the most insane thing I ever heard because Jermaine Dupree did everything. Right. You know? So he she and I said, So where did we steal the song from Amanda? Oh, it was on the demo, right? And I said, Really? I said, Hold on. Right? And I go, I've got the demo. <laughs> and I'm sitting there on the phone with her and I'm listing the songs. I said, So uh I I'll tell you what's here. Blah 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 blah. Which one of those songs is uh which one did we take? And she goes, oh, well, the song's called Jump. I said, well, there's no song called Jump on this demo. And right. This is what Muggs gave us, right? But they couldn't let it, you know, Everlast couldn't let it go. Couldn't let it, okay. Yeah, and here's the thing. Muggs told me he never thought Joe jacked the song. He never thought. And the thing is, and I can tell you this right now, I mean, Joe Nicolo, God bless him, man. I've known this man, you know, intimately. There's Joe, Joe's not, He doesn't have that thing right like, to take you know, like he, right. he that would require much more time, effort and energy and resources to do than than Joe wants to expend. You know what I mean? He's what, not the he's not that kind of like, you know, what was his reaction when he first heard it? Oh, he loved it. Oh, he, he goes, oh, yeah, yeah, no, he said, oh, yeah, he goes, you should see it in the video. He gets right up in the camera and <laughs> it's like. <laughs> <laughs> okay, always wanted to know. Okay, there's something else I'm just reminded of. Can you explain the Nas situation? Yeah. You yeah. guys had him first. Yeah. And then what happened? All right. Um. So, so at this point, you know, we're... When we got to Sony, right, mm -hmm. to Columbia, it was CBS at the time, it was like, you know... There's Def Jam and there's you guys, right? Mm -hmm. And you're it. We're not doing any other hip hop, right? And the next week, we go up for our first meetings with like people like Angela Thomas, our product manager. And I'll never forget, Angela Thomas was eating a, a salad. And Kevin Woodley walks us in and he goes, Yeah, this is uh, Chris Schwartz and Joe Nicolo, that's uh, their hip hop label, Rough House, that we just did a deal with. And Angela's kind of like she's got her mouth full of food because mm -hmm. she just found out that they did rush associated labels, uh, which is like 30 companies. Right, and, right. You know, and she goes, and she's like looking and she's like, oh, another label. And you could just see that that look on her face. Uh, so, so Def Jam, then something happened and they left. They got, you know, they went to, a, they went through a renegotiation and it just didn't work out. And they went over to uh, MCA, Polygram, whatever. And we were it, right? And we were now doing really well, and we had a lot of pipeline revenue coming to us, you know? The labels don't have to give it to you all at once. It's there. So mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so uh, MC Search uh, wanted to sign Nas. Now, a couple months prior to this, um, uh, there's a guy that he, uh, he was a manager of a club called Revival. Um, in Philly? Yeah. Greg <laughs> McGarra. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I lived at Revival. I was like, I was there all the time. Greg was Same. the manager and we used to hang out to the wee hours and, you know, mm -hmm. and he constantly played me this record, um, 
live at the barbecue. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. And he said, you know, you should find this kid Nas and sign him. But like, I know that this label Wild Pitch was owned by Stu Fine. Stu Fine. Well, yeah. I said he's already signed. He's already signed to Wild Pitch. You know, so, so I just I, that was it, right? And so I get a phone call from Donnie Einer, mm-hmm. and he goes, "Look, he goes, uh, I want to introduce you to Search. He's got this artist that uh, that you should you know look at named Nas." And I was like, "Oh, really?" So, Awesome, yeah. Look, so search comes down to Philadelphia with Faith Newman and Nas. Mm-hmm. We go to the spaghetti warehouse. <laughs> the the, the after yeah. midnight post. Yeah, the, the post after midnight. Post yeah, after midnight. You remember the original after midnight? I yeah. know the yeah. legend of it. Yeah, and those guys that ran. Oh my god! Yeah. All right, so um, so I miss the we uh, we we do this deal, and uh, we, it was two things: we signed Nas. And we also did the deal for the uh, soundtrack to Zebrahead. Zebrahead. Right. And uh, our the first thing we do with Nas was halftime. Uh, uh, Rich Murray uh, production protege James Brummel did the video for like three thousand dollars, you know. Whoa. And then stuff started happening, you know. And uh, you know John Schechter. Let, let, let me go back to an earlier part of the source when I was we had the Schoolie D records, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I was sending out thousands of records to retailers besides, you know, to do stuff. I mailed out the first issue of the source in the Schoolie D records package. Oh. So I knew John and Dave, um, Dave Mays and John Schechter. Mm-hmm. And John Schechter came down and his mission was to get a copy of the Nas songs. And I gave him like I think five songs, and then uh, I think he was the, like the first artist to get X amount of microphones in the source or whatever. Well, one so, of the first. Yeah. yeah. So now, now, shout out to Miss Info. Now there's a huge, huge thing happening with Nas, right? Right. Everybody's excited, you know, and I get a uh, phone call. You know, Rose comes in and says, oh, Chris, um, um, I was just told by somebody at Columbia that that Nas was going to be on Columbia proper. And I was like, well, how's that? He signed to us. He's contracted to us. It's our, you know. And uh, I, we called up Donnie and uh, Joe and I go up there and Donnie shows us a, um, it's a fax from Tommy mm-hmm. and the subject matter is why is Nas signed to Roughhouse, right? So here's what happened. Search bought it to Columbia, and Columbia said, oh, we'll do it, but it has to be on Roughhouse. Why? Because if it fails, then we but, end up uh, eating it from our pipeline revenues, right? It's no risk for them to put it on us, you know? And it backfired on him. It backfired. It continues to backfire. Yeah. <laughs> so how does it feel like being their redheaded stepkid? Like their redheaded step bitches, you know? They, <laughs> was it yeah. not? I mean, were they not? Because as a label on their own, they weren't. I mean, Josie no Love went there. Yeah, they like, yeah. they weren't doing jack with hip hop. Yeah, I know. I know. But 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 here's what it is. Here's what it is. 
after it was all said and done, you know, Donnie shows me this fax, right? And it's from Tommy. And it says, he's, he's saying, in quote unquote, you fucking asshole, right? Is what it's it. And exclamation points and underlined, right? And Donnie was like, you know, Chris, I'm like in a thing here. You, you can you please help us out? And so we 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 did a deal. We uh, we let them um, we let them buy us out. Should we have done it? You know, here's the thing. It was looking back in retrospect, probably not. But at the same time, it was kind of hard to say no when this is a guy who's kind of like your partner yeah, at the thing. Yeah. And everything, and you know, we he done a lot for us and everything, and it was just a, a thing. And then uh, I remember later on, Faith Newman, you know, kind of conceded. They said, you know, Chris, I, I said part of the pressure with this is that is that we have nothing for Columbia proper, you know. Mm-hmm. And what they, I guess, they didn't want to see was that if Roughhouse suddenly ups and leaves one day, the way Def Jam did. And can imagine like half your revenue stream walking out the door, right? You know, because mm-hmm. you know, it, it a, for the, for like really like a ten year period of time, we were their black music department, straight up and down. Yeah. Yeah. So 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 yeah, that's what happened. But you know, it's funny. I would see Nas like over. I saw him on like over in Europe and everything. And he always said, he goes, man, he goes, I just wanted to just stay on Rough House so bad, and you know. And um, it's crazy, yeah. So, but he gave me a nice shout out in the Surviving the Times. All right, y'all, you know what season it is. Tis the season for spring breaking and planning our summer travel. And if you're like me, you're already in your Airbnb app trying to find which spot is right for you. Now, listen, while I'm looking to spend all this money, what I'm not doing is thinking about making money with Airbnb. See, you got to change your mind state. Make the money while you're spending the money. How, you say, Laia, do I make the money? Well, you host at your house. And I know what you're thinking. I mean, my whole house? Uh, Well, no, you don't have to do your whole house. I mean, you could do a room or, you know, do the whole house. So make some money while you're spending some money this summer. I'm trying to tell you, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. 
you know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. My last day at Rough House, uh, two things happened. Uh, one, freaking, I don't even know if you're aware of this. My last day at Rough House was Santi Gold's first day at Rough House. Oh, wow. As working under Davida Gar. Right. And, yeah, it was kind of like that Dreamweaver moment. like <laughs> In Wayne's World. Yeah. It was the, <laughs> who is that? Um, I don't mean to creep you out, Santi. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> that was a long time ago. Nah, Santi was like, she was Bay of the Century. <laughs> Um, and Davida asked me for a favor and said, Hey, uh, at you guys' uh, signing party in two weeks, could you let one of our new acts open for you guys? And I was like, Okay, who is it? And she gives me blunted on reality, which at that point, <laughs> which at that point no. was uh, like, it was a quiet two months. Like, uh, uh, I was going to say, Nappy Heads didn't even have the remix yet. Right. This was early in the game. I knew when I saw the 8x10, because of the way that soap operas run in my family's houses. Yeah. I was like, oh, that's the joint from As the World Turns. Yeah. 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 Yes. <laughs> I didn't even know about Sister Act 2 yet. Right. So right. I just knew her as the troubled kid from. As the world turns. So I, I loved it. I was like, yeah, hell yeah. Let her do it. So how did, like, so the Fugees came to my attention two weeks, like Thanksgiving of November 93. But I, she told me that you guys had had them long before that. Oh, yeah. So how yeah. did you guys? Um, We, actually, Rose Mann. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I I just you know, I'm I'm real big on giving credit where credits due, you know. And um, was Roseman officially A and R? Like, what was her job at Rough House? That's what I say. Who you know? Who's an A and R guy anymore? You know what I mean? It's <laughs> like a hip hop label. You know, Monica Lynch said the best music to came the biggest records that came the Tommy Boy came through their their guy in the the Puerto Rican guy in the mailroom. You know what I mean? Right. Right. Yeah. Right. So so um. You remember the the TV commercial? Uh, I guess it was in the late eighties, early nineties. Uh, the the guys in the cab and the cab driver in New York City has the dreads. You okay. know, it was they, they they showed that commercial. That's Hassan Sharif. Hassan, Hassan. He was in yes. Zebrahead. Yes. Ah. Yes. Uh, uh, you didn't see Zebrahead? I see, I saw it. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah, been years, but I saw it. Yeah, he always. So yeah, so that's I guess that's a Zebrahead uh, party is where he met Rose. Wow. And so he had that night during the premiere. I guess I I don't I don't know how she met him. That must have been because I you forgot. rented a bus and took us all to New York City. I did, and uh. that's that's the that's the ill fated night where I remember Clark Kent went back and forth on In Vogue's Hold On, Nas freestyled. I have my woman with, with rhyming with nasty Nas back. You know, that was my one moment when I thought I was going to be an MC. And I gave it up after that. For real. Uh, Well, I just admit it. This is 25 years later. So, you know, I hope nobody recorded that shit. But (laughs) so he met her that night. He must have. 
That's crazy. Because so so what happened was she bugged the shit out of me for for a long time. She goes, you got to hear this, listen to this group, listen to this group, listen to this group. So I'm in my car and uh, I, I put this tape in and the first thing that caught me mm-hmm. was that like, oh, it's not like hip hop. Like it's hip hop, but there's, you know, it had a whole different thing about it. And and then and and so, well, you were okay. familiar with that because you also had the goats. Yeah, yeah. So I so I thought, I thought, all right. So this is something a little bit unique and different. Mm-hmm. I I didn't know they were Haitian. You know, I'm embarrassed to say this. You know, I right. thought it was Jamaican. You know, <laughs> go back to Jamaican. So this is what's new. So we go to the uh, we. We Joe and I go up to their audition at David Sonnenberg's office on the Upper East Side in this townhouse, and um, and there was like seven or eight people, and yeah, they rolled deep. But here's what what basically the thing that right away was that Wyclef, the beatbox, and the acoustic guitar, mm-hmm. and it was like okay. This is a little different. Yeah, nobody right? was doing that. This yeah. is like, and that that's what did it for me, you know? You didn't and hear I, a note from Lauren's voice no, at all? I, I, no, I'm gonna tell you, I, I talk about in the book. I don't even remember her from the audition. And here's the thing. When we went, there was like six or seven kids. And at, at the end of the audition, Wyclef, like, it's now stripped all his clothes off. He's in his boxers going nuts and everything. <laughs> right. And I had found out later on, they had auditioned for every major and independent. We were their last shot. Wow. This said we were it. So when we went to do the contracts, it was there was only three people, and I was like, "Well, wait, what? Where, where, where were all these other people that were there?" Right? Mm-hmm. And so, anyhow, we, we did the album. Uh, most of my dialogue was with Wyclef and the manager David Sonnenberg and when we got when I got the first batch of songs it was really weird because like Praz was like the dominant rapper and I thought you know Praz was Mm. good but he's (laughs) no 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 he he I'll tell you but you're ready or not you have to admit he is what he does on that track but I just wasn't feeling him carrying these songs and I call up David and I said David you know this is this is this is a problem and he goes well he goes yeah it is a real problem he says because Wyclef is or Praz is Wyclef's cousin I'm like oh shit now I gotta tell you mm-hmm. but I said, fuck it, you know, lit a cigarette. You got Clef on the phone. And I said, yo, man, I said, it's cool, but is there any way that, you know, blah, 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 as diplomatic as possible? Clef said, oh, yeah, man, I got you, right? Like a week later, different, different thing, you know? Roz is more pushed to the back, you know? Uh, And that first album and the touring, and here's the thing, man. And I always said this. There was like three groups, three hip-hop groups from that day that toured. That was the Fugees, Cypress Hill, and the Roots. Constant touring. Yeah. Europe. Yeah. Constant. Those were the... I remember Scott Thomas 
You know Scott Thomas over in the UK, booking agent? Uh, no. Yeah. Okay. He would tell me, he said, he goes, yeah, all three, those, he, you would always say, those three artists, those were the ones, you know. Uh, you had but, to back yeah, then. But, but yeah, how about this? Two years after the release of Blunted on Reality, we're still selling six to 800 copies a week sound scan, right? So that's showing that this record, and I got to tell you, that whole thing with with Cl Sony and Columbia was hanging not by a thread, but by <laughs> like a spider web thread. Like it was, uh, they did a show in London and I wasn't at the show, but Luke Verger, who later on became head of every, like he became my guy for Europe for everything. He was our, he was head of international marketing for Columbia Records. Mm -hmm. He called, he's, he's, uh, he's from Marseille. Um, and he calls him because, oh, Chris, I, he was, I rode in a cab back with these guys last night. They're talking about dropping the Fujis. You must do something, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, I uh, I called up Donnie, and uh, I said, Donnie, I said they were going to win Grammys. We just got it. We got to stay with. We got to do this and stay with it and everything. And do you and know what it is like? The lack of faith. Because the thing is, I would even like to think that, like, okay, the money by this point, you know, you, you have some gratitude because the money's good. You oh, know, yeah, you guys them, are yeah. doing the numbers. Yeah. And yeah. yet, it's like each time out the out the gate, you well, have to. No, I'll tell you this. At this point, I at that point, I I had a lot of confidence in the relationship. I'll tell you this: when it when the first the first five years at Columbia, right? Mm -hmm. I I was I was a the wimpy kid, you know. I was easily easily bullied and 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 you know talked into to shit. All right, in another know? diplomatic way, how? How approachable is Tommy? And is he one of the guys, or is you or know what? Can you be like, hey, yo, Matola, uh, can, fuck can, you! Like, no, you no. Know? Can I tell you something? <laughs> can I kind of be honest? I got, I got a little, little story. Okay. That, that I'll get into. Um, um. All right. So, so, um, Lauren, this record. Right? Mm -hmm. The Miseducation of Lauren Hill. Yes. Okay. Uh, Are we allowed to talk about that record in here? The Miseducation of <laughs> Lauren Yes. No. Shout out to James. No, it's inside joke. No, but inside the thing joke. is, inside joke. Inside joke. The record, the record, the project is the vehicle for the story, right? Mm -hmm. but okay. That uh, <laughs> she, she was going to Japan to do a show. For the Sony executives, mm -hmm. we had just did this whole thing in 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 UK, and uh, and I was going I was going with her to Japan, and this is shortly after my remember the phone call from the executives about you know mm -hmm. I, I right yes so she's so we got this big thing happening, bought my ticket all ready to go, and. I get a phone call and it's uh Tommy's assistant. Oh, Chris, um Tommy needs you to come up to a meeting with him and uh D 
Danny DeVito and uh, who's the woman who runs Jersey Films? Um, you know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. And and I said, oh yeah, yeah, cool, right? So uh, when's uh, when's the meeting? She gives me a date. I said, ah, impossible. I'm gonna be over in Japan with um, real perma with Miss Hill, right? Mm. And she goes, oh well, Tommy is uh, really asking if you could, you know, make this. It's really, really important, you know. Mm. And and I'm like, and I'm thinking, wow, like how can I? Say no, right? right? So I said, all right. I go in the Glickman's office. I said, yeah, it looks like I'm not going to the thing in Japan with Miss I'm doing the, um, Tommy wants to have this really important meeting with uh, Danny DeVito and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And Kevin just laughs at me. <laughs> and he goes, he goes, yeah, what's going to happen? The plane's going to take off. And then they're going to cancel and the meeting. they're going to cancel the meeting. <laughs> I said, I said, no, nah, ain't going to happen. Uh, it's not like that. And of course, the plane takes off. They call. Oh, Danny had to do some reshoots, you know? And, and so, and so how else could I look at this? Right. And to think that, that he didn't want me meeting the sony guy the sony um uh, you know over there but you know the the reality is like what 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 would i do you know i'm just you know what what am i gonna talk to these guys about you know i'm just there as part of the sh- you know with her and the show and everything you can't but, outshine but see, the master right. no but right. you, but but you know here's the reality i could never prove this in a court of law and it's only speculation on my part but, you know, but the only thing I could say, if that meeting was just so fucking important, how come it never got rescheduled? Rescheduled. <laughs> right. Right. Because uh. I had called up, so when are we doing the meeting with Danny? And it just it kind of like, you know, yeah, so... So That's what crazy. was your breaking point? Because you said that you probably was a pushover for the first like five years. But what was the moment when you were like, um, fuck this. It was the, I, I guess the, the breaking the breaking point where it's no, I didn't suddenly become nasty and mean. No, just it was them. just sort of um, when when you really like, I, I'll tell you this. There, there's a guy. Uh, his name is Chris Blackwell. And <laughs> he's the founder of mm-hmm. Island Records. Yeah. Right. He's one of my best friends. And he's been my mentor for years. And when you really get a grasp of the type of money that those companies make, it's it's uh, it's mind boggling. Right. Uh, for instance, at the time, you know, a major distribution power, mm-hmm. right? Well, there's manufacturing costs, right? Mm-hmm. You deduct that. You pay for your manufacturing. The company that's manufacturing the record is the same company, company yeah. but you're paying. Them, yeah. But you're paying for the manu. Like in other words, they're paying. You're, you're paying them to manufacture it. You're not getting any break on that. No. You know. Um. So it's and then let's face it. Uh, international, okay. I could tell you this: that uh, there was an old, there was an old time industry accountant named Bert Padell. Yeah, Bert Padell. 
Yeah. Stack more cash than Burt Padel. Well, it's guy's got the biggest. Who is he? He's, he's, uh, he was an accountant. Biggie account- shouted him out on uh, uh, on the 112 remake. Yeah. Oh, okay. Burt Padel was that, you know, when you go to do a co-venture, right, as a label, they just don't give it to you. You know, remember when Andre Harrell, the $50 million MCA thing, right? They don't <laughs> or just, Motown. They, yeah, they just don't. When you renegotiate, you gotta, you have to come to them with a whole plan, like yeah. a prospectus. You have to have projections. You have to have a pro forma. You got to have all that stuff. You have to, because if in order for them to cut loose with that money, they have to be able to justify it to whoever the board of whatever it, whatever it is, but that's part of the process, like in any business, right? So, so when I when we did our finally did the co venture, uh, I had to get Bert Padell to help us put that stuff together because he's got he's got all that stuff. But what I the reason I bring him up is that the the majors is it where they one place that they really get you at that time when we had when we relied on the physical product which was the lifeblood of the business was international internationally you think about it you everything is all computerized so and somebody renegotiates a record deal or something you say okay for international we're going to get this particular royalty rate and they raise it by you know a couple points over but somehow somebody forgets to put that in the royalty accounting program right so then when you go back and you do a um sweep audit right you would believe the hundreds of thousands to millions of dollars that you find and Roughhouse, if we were anything else worldwide, we were one of the biggest hip hop labels in the world because our artists were massive, yeah. you know, and and you know we were making so much money for them, and so that's at that point, I just kind of felt like you know what I I I knew, you know what I mean. So it, that gave me a lot of confidence in in you know dealing with them. So was, when did you when, when did you officially leave Sony? Uh in 1999. Oh wow! Oh, wow! Right after, so right after, so right during the uh, I was the having height of it. I was having meetings with in L.A. with like uh, David Geffen, uh, heads of like EMI and Warner Brothers. The day after the Grammys. Shit. Yeah. So. Wait a minute. I forgot because with Rough Nation. Yeah. Uh, uh, and Prada from Yeah. Yeah. I love that record, man. <laughs> oh, dude, you should see the you should see the video they did with Liz Lighty. It's it's incredible. Rich shot it in this place in Delaware. It's like it's a white psych that goes around the room, and it's a camera that's on this like robotic thing. Mm-hmm. So the way it's it's one continuous shot so you see this video and you see like hundreds of people in it but there's no edit oh it just keeps going it just keeps going and it's this whole system with the computer and the camera that it's a really awesome video i can't find it though online so where did you where did rough nation was that warner or warner okay i wanted to be the guy to bring black music back to warners that was my goal it wasn't even about money. That's where I work. I actually took less money to go with Warner's because, and to me, the last 
real things in regards to to black music of any significance was um, Ice T and <laughs> Prince, yeah. right? Hmm. And if you want to talk about Cold Chillin', I'm not sure, but you know uh, that that was it. And I felt like if I could come there and kind of inject that roughhouse DNA into into the gig, you know, that I could do something significant. Yeah. So at the time when I started at Rough House, you guys were just implementing a new system. SoundScan hadn't really started yet. Right. So every day I'm hearing all your people call and saying, yep. hey, I need 500 yep. pieces reported in Billboard for this and da-da-da. It was a little more subtle than that. Well, <laughs> I, mean, I heard some shit. But my, yeah. my, my, my point was then there was a point Two months later, oh yeah, where all that stopped. And I was like, wait, how come you guys aren't? And people were being let go because they're like, well, we have SoundScan now. We don't need oh, that d- anymore. How crazy when they ch- when they went when it went from from regular when it went from the bullshit charts right. to SoundScan. Suddenly, labels like us were the king of the hill. Look yeah. like, right, right. We we sat there, man. You're you're trying. You're you're working a record and you're legitimately selling records, and yet. You're like trying to break an artist and you're in the 110 spot in Billboard. But then you see some god awful thing like sitting at number 14 that you know is not selling. Right. It's there. And then when SoundScan happened, suddenly hip hop was like the first 20. (laughs) Right. 20 positions. It was crazy. All right, y'all. You know what season it is. Tis the season for spring breaking and planning our summer travel. And if you're like me, you're already in your Airbnb app trying to find which spot is right for you. Now, listen, while I'm looking to spend all this money, what I'm not doing is thinking about making money with Airbnb. See, you got to change your mind state. Make the money while you're spending the money. How, you say, Laia, do I make the money? Well, you host at your house. And I know what you're thinking. I mean, my whole house? Uh, Well, no, you don't have to do your whole house. I mean, you could do a room or, you know, do the whole house. So make some money while you're spending some money this summer. I'm trying to tell you, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of. A degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. 
So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. So how do you feel now today uh, the <laughs> way math. the streaming is and, and stream Facebook likes, Instagram likes? Yeah, like, never is it, yeah. Is it just know. overwhelming for you now? Like, Well, now, you know, it's funny. Not as much as I thought, like, say, a month ago. Uh, you know, I have a... I somebody I started a Twitter account and Instagram account like years ago, but never paid attention. Then I just started looking like a couple weeks ago, and it's like I had over a thousand followers on each. I said, "Oh, that's a nice little start," you know. Mm-hmm. And so I just started figuring how to do that. I never paid attention to that stuff. But in terms of uh, the industry, I, I'll tell you what I think is first off when the whole thing, you know, digital and streaming, for the first time since the 50s there's now a level playing field but if you look at global music revenues 18 percent of global music revenues are independent artists and that that's a big thing i mean what would, would that have been 20 years ago point independent artists <laughs> no not artists not signed to record labels oh, yeah. artists putting out music make up 18% of global music revenues. Yeah. And so this year is the, I guess, I think it's the third year that uh, global music revenues have taken a northerly upturn, mm-hmm. you know, because let's face it, ever since the, the death knell, the stranglehold in the early 2000s, it, you know. But um, so, yeah, so it, it's growing. And it's growing. It's going to keep growing, and I I'm starting to see um you know labels now being a little bit more speculative, mm-hmm. you know, in terms of artists and everything like that. And so in walking, I, I've never spoken to anyone that once had a label and then walked away from the distribution deal, whatever. So what happens to like a group like Cypress Hill will be oh. a legacy act, so that album will continue to sell yeah. over and over they, and over they again. Bought, they bought us out. Oh, okay. They bought the artist. So they just straight up brought you yeah, out. They had, and then, yeah. So now. Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah. Because the yeah because it was ninety nine. So yeah, the carnival that wasn't Rough House. Was yeah, it? that was Rough House. Oh, it was. Oh okay. yeah. As a matter of fact, I I paid for that record personally when we started. Oh wow! I love yeah. that album. And that's like. Well, that was here's the thing, you know. They they didn't like the carnival when what? when I when I when I went in the meeting did they ever I like when I when, when I went when I went was better than Miss when I went yeah. no when I went to the first meeting he, here's what happened Wyclef Wyclef um originally I'd gone to Haiti a couple times with them right and we had this idea to do a Haitian traditional Haitian kind of pop record, right? But mix it with some like hip hop and everything. And it was this wasn't gonna be like what we call a frontline release. This was gonna be like an independent project. I was gonna maybe see if Chris Blackwell wanted to get involved with it on Palm and stuff. So we start doing this record. And then next thing you know, it starts to kind of turn into something else. And now we think like, okay, now this is like a frontline rough house release, right? And but I had, you know, spent money at this point, and Wyclef calls me up on a Tuesday night with Sonnenberg to tell me 
that he booked like an 80 piece orchestra in New York for that <laughs> for Thursday. Goose. And it was like, oh my God. Oh, gone God. to November. For gone I to haven't November. even gotten to like in a budget approved or anything. Wow. And I had a meeting with Donnie on a Wednesday and I played him. I gave him the CD of like the five, so five or six songs, puts it in, listens to it, and does one of the worst things ever that could happen to you when you're trying to get somebody to like something, he handed it back to me. Oh. Was Staying Alive on there? Uh, no. 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 But was that the last song we're yeah, right. No, no. <laughs> but he handed it back, and he goes, I don't know. He goes, sounds like something like vacation music or something. Wow. And I'm like thinking, yeah, now I got the orchestra going and shit. Like, <laughs> But, um, Larry worked on that one too, right? That, that, yeah, that, he did. Yeah, damn. He did. Wow. No, yeah, I, I, love, I love that album, man. Oh, yeah. I, it's, I, a, it's a brilliant man, record, it's, man. It really is. Celia Cruz is on that album. It really album. is. But but here's the thing. That, that the miseducation was the really, that was the struggle. That was like they, first off, they didn't want a solo record from her yet they wanted another Another fuji's record record. and of course who could blame them right another fuji's record is gonna sell 11 billion you know whatever um but the the they say say, okay so now she's gonna do record but we want we want puffy (laughs) we want this we want all these and the problem was, I, you know, I had a, a thing at my house, like a, a barbecue, and I invited her to come, not thinking that she would come, you know. And uh, her mother called me up and says, oh, yeah, we're coming out. And I was like, oh, okay. So, And we, she came. We hung out for a little bit. And I had my house at the time. I had this room, like this music room. And she started to tell me about this record. And it was going to be like... Um, 60s and 70s soul like the hip-hop and this whole but real organic you know of analog and this whole thing and it's like cool all this and when we i was in bath england with my wife and it was like three o'clock in the morning and uh the phone rings and i knew who it was I knew it was going to be Tommy and Donnie. Mm-hmm. And I had given them the five song, five or six songs. and um, Five or six songs from Miseducation. Yeah. Okay. And they said, and Tommy's on speaker, Donnie was on speakerphone. He goes, yeah, Tommy and I listened to the record and we think the songs are very, very, very mediocre. Oh. Now, now I hang up. And it's whatever, I hang up. And I'm sitting there in the dark, right? And my wife's asleep and she's like, Chris, what's the matter? I said, they don't like the record, she's you know? Like, nah, they trying to fix And it. I'm like, and you know, but you got to, th- this is, but see for me, you know, okay, I, like I said, yeah, I, I talk all this bravado about my dealings with them and everything, but still, these are two guys who are, for the all intents and purposes, pretty powerful guys in the music yeah. business, you mm-hmm. know, who have years and years of experience, you know. But the one thing that 
that I held on to was that they were wrong about the clef record, completely wrong about that, and the record was good. It was just like, it just like how how could they? You know, I didn't. Well, I, gotta, I didn't. Okay, this is the thing though. I don't think it matters if it's good or bad. Could they? No, no, no. I'm just saying, but it's the truth. Could they not see that it was going to be effective? Like, how could they not? Because she could have done anything okay, by that a, point, because and here, it would have won. Because these guys, right? I always used to say that I used to tell her this all the time earlier on. I used to say you could sing over five minutes of Static Kiss and it'll be a hit record. But <laughs> but they lived. They live in these monolithic glass and steel places where. Everything is about radio and greatest mm -hmm. gainer and weekly yeah, this and yeah. all that. And everything is formatted and this and that. Mariah. And it's like, yeah. <laughs> right. But I'm the right. thing is, like, I I saw both the, the Carnival and Miseducation. These, to me, this was like circa 1968. WMMR FM radio, like, you know, this isn't about, this is about a body of work, yeah. you know? And there's the thing is, it's like, um, I felt that, that I wasn't thinking, I not thinking singles, you know, mm -hmm. I'm thinking this, but you know, Michael Malden was, you know, we did a, a white label 12 inch, uh, for lost ones. We did it. Roughhouse did it. Columbia had nothing to do with it. Mm -hmm. And we didn't even tell them about it. We just did it. And we sent out, you know, it was her idea. And we sent that out. And oh my oh, God, yeah. the shit hit the fan. I remember that day. In a good shit. or bad way. All right. Yeah. The shit hit the, I mean, they were, oh, well, here's the thing. They were angry or? Michael Baldwin was angry. You know, because I, you know, let's face it, he was head of black music department. And I just, not went, knowing he's doing right. And I just went and did that shit, right? But the world he said, Donnie's <laughs> going to get ready to blow up your phone. But you know what? I never heard from Donnie. You want to know why? Because that would admit that you it, were right. No, no, I never heard from Donnie because it was so incredible the way it started the whole thing. It was like that song, Lost Ones. What a perfect entree vous for a project like that. But they and, literally had doubts that the album was going to work, even though... Oh, yeah. Oh, so what, how do they feel about the score, then? Oh, no, no. Yeah, well, uh, oh... They, the, oh, they the didn't expect that. No, no, not at all. But uh, but I'll, I'll tell you this. They they wanted... They they wanted... Um, not only did they want that... that All that crazy, you know, commercial production... More karaoke. They, they, they definitely wanted... An a '90s female R&B singer style photograph on Mariah the front of the Carey. record. Mariah Carey, yeah, <laughs> and Black it's dress. like so they didn't even like the cover. No, so so think about this. Think about think about what the cover is, and mm -hmm. think about what they're thinking about. Yeah, wow. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that album couldn't like, have been another cover. Yeah, yeah. yeah now it was like. And no, they eventually they gave in because I know this that there was a uh, there was a marketing meeting. And Miguel Begauer and a bunch of people in the room all said that the anticipation and the 
early feedback and everything was that this record was not only going to be critically acclaimed, it was going to be massive and everything. And then, then of course it, you know, because it was lost ones and to do to do yeah. right? Yep. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. I just can't believe that they didn't know that they had an easy. Yeah, especially but after Killing Me Softly. After, yeah, after Killing yeah. Me Softly. That seems yeah. like a no-brainer. Well, you yeah. know, because Killing Me Softly was never even, uh, it was never supposed to be a single. The Fugees didn't didn't even really want that song on the record. And um, and they didn't want to promote it as a, you know, they did, the, we did a video and, and it just, they hated it. So we reshot it with them in the movie theater throwing popcorn at each other like, like a non-video video, right? Um. But yeah, that song you couldn't stop it. Was that on know. love? That wasn't on love, Jones. That wasn't the Fuji song. You're thinking of sweetest, sweetest thing. Sweetest, yeah, sweetest yeah. thing. Oh, sweetest thing. Yeah. I think it's possible that both can be right. I mean, it's not. I'm not one of the diehard. That album changed my. Life. Technically, that it album did. actually changed my life. <laughs> In a technical sense, it affected my life. But I think I'm just shocked that. They couldn't see that this was a no-brainer. Well, they just, they were, you know what, I, I'll tell you this. They didn't trust their record to to have all of it to be pulled off by her and her alone. Oh, yeah. Okay? Because at that point, she'd gotten rid of her management. She was disassociated with everything and everybody up there except me. Right. And okay. that was it. So it was kind of like, um, you know, they they would have loved that the, the A-list R&B 90s hit, uh, producers, you know? They didn't realize that she was the answer to the yeah. coming backlash that no one saw coming. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And the thing I is, like, I, I heard all sorts of stories. Uh, somebody said that, you know that Puffy had this big meeting and pulled everybody into a room and held up the record and says, this is where we need to be going and all this stuff. And mm -hmm. it just, uh, it really, you know. That's crazy. Yeah. How did the lawsuits and stuff affect you guys, if at all? I don't want to, I don't want to uh, say anything, you know. I, I, know, I knew Veda, right? Mm -hmm. But here's, here's a simple reality. The fact that they claim that they wrote lyrics and everything how how because i know these songs and i know everything that she's talking about in the songs you know moving records on south orange ave right, <laughs> right. okay i used to take records there you know to move in records on south orange ave right. so why would why would those guys come up with that reference in that song why would they how could they have wrote lost like it's so crazy but here's the biggest thing right and and here's what it is in the nutshell if they, in fact, were the ones who made this monumental contribution to this production, well, why haven't they made a similar monumental contribution to somebody else's hole. production yeah. since? You know what I mean? Yeah. And you that's stole my term. <laughs> Make another hole. Another hole. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, you know, I guess with all due, due respect, James is not here to. Oh, no, no, James. No, 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 James. I know what James did. James, yeah. James, dun, 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 he wrote the the thing, right? Because no. I'm like, after a while, it was just like Lauren did everything, and then people was like, wait a minute, hold up, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I but, but I don't still. think one person does everything. Yeah, I, mean, I don't Prince think so. didn't do everything. Yeah, right. exactly. But it, it was a nice mark. 
It was I, needed at the time. I, I, I'll tell you what. I know of some major, major marquee name producers who are out there who are given the ultimate credit for projects that they basically, yeah, they would come in and listen to some mixes and say, okay, do this and do that and go home. And there's quite a few of them and they rely on a lot of people. That's the B team, right? Yeah. That's what the B team is all about. Wow. The lessons we learned today. (laughs) 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 Well, Chris, we thank you. Yeah, thank, you. Yeah, thank, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Happy you. anniversary. Happy anniversary. Today's your anniversary? No, this no. year is the anniversary of Rough House, yeah, right? No, uh, oh. Yeah. Uh, I was like, wow. You, you, well, you, no, we're just, um, yes. We're what, what we're trying to do is to figure out the research to get a definitive date. And we're going to probably use when we really just started with Columbia is the real anniversary. Because that's when all the records that, yeah. So, so that is this would 30 be, or? Yeah, that would be, um. Yeah, you're 30. Wow. This be 30. Oh, did we talk about DMX? The, the born? Crap, I forgot about it. <laughs> yeah. oh, yeah. How did you find DMX and why did y'all not? <laughs> uh, we did a, we, we, well, you know, you know what the biggest problem was? We never, like, it, it was a good song, mm-hmm. but we didn't have the, like, I never really got to hang out with him or anything, oh, you know? Okay. And we did this song, Born Loser, which at the time it was a, it was a good track for for when you look at the time when that came for out. That was, yeah. yeah, that was good. But uh, we only did a singles deal, and I think what happened was that by the time we started trying to figure out what the next move was, something had already elapsed. Yeah. And I know that that Rough Riders had already. And you know, I'll tell you this: I I I didn't get upset or anything because. Well, if I if I was so like you know, like if this was something that was important to me, I'd have been up on it, you know. Right, right. Yeah, wow. Who knew? Yeah. Well, <laughs> I'll end on DMX's born loser. All right, Chris, we thank you very much. Thank you very on much. Fontigolo, the Bills, Sugar Steve, and Laia. This Quest Love, Quest Love Supreme, and we will see you on the next go round. All right. Quest Love Supreme is a production of iHeartRadio. This classic episode was produced by the team at Pandora. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Are you on the hunt for a new home this spring? 
but don't know where to start? Fisher Homes is your solution. Your new home should reflect you from the front door to the kitchen and even your outdoor space. Start your journey by selecting your ideal home site, like in a cul-de-sac or that's tree-lined, and then choose from a variety of expertly designed floor plans. Bring it all together at our Lifestyle Design Center. Let Fisher Homes be your new home solution this spring and start making memories at fisherhomes.com. This episode brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Director Wes Ball breathes new life into the epic franchise. As a ruthless king attempts to build his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape begins a journey to fight for a future for apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX on May 10th and theaters everywhere. Get tickets now.